Today's episode of the Black Flag Podcast is brought to you by Evan Orvath of Solero Commerce. We're coming to you live from the Solero Commerce compound, as always. They've been with us since the very beginning. If you want a small business that accepts debit or credit cards, you got to check them out. Contact Evan Orvath or get in touch with one of us, and we'll get you a free second opinion on your current merchant service provider. Today's episode is also brought to you by PlanBSales.com and CircleBDieCast.com. If you're looking for any diecasts or any other NASCAR memorabilia, be sure to check them out. Use promo code BFP123 for free shipping on orders over $20. Brad Keselowski is going to be shown the black flag. It's the Black Flag Podcast. Every fucking week. Fuck, I hate my fucking job. Race analysis. Yeah, we're on the girls' pool here, so. Maggie forgets that if they changed the rules and took the champion's provisional away, he wouldn't have been able to race the last two years, so. uh... Occasional alcohol consumption. Jimmy Johnson is on pit road because I think he's the leader. And calling people on their shit. It refrains me from not beating the shit out of you right now because you ask me stupid questions. This week's Black Flag Podcast is now in session. Hey, we edged him out, we beat him, so it's all good. All right, everyone. It's the uh, Wednesday. What is it? Is today Wednesday? Yeah. Today's the Wednesday. Hump day. After the 54th annual Snowball Derby, our second consecutive trip. Uh, we are back in the Solero Commerce Compound in Scarborough, Maine. But as always, I am Charlie Samborn at CSamborn, III. You are Bradley Saucier at BSauce96. Together, we are at Black Flag Pod on all things social media. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Patreon. Head on over, get the Patreon app. Uh, this weekend, though... Uh, Bradley, <clears throat> on the prelim night, watching the Nash truck race, uh, took a cell phone video on our YouTube page, which is Black Flag Podcast, not the uh, not the other one, but us. You'll you'll know what that means when you go on YouTube. Um, that has a hundred thousand views now, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was reading through the rules and regulations when I finally sobered up on Tuesday, and. Um, I believe we need a thousand followers, so we might have to do some YouTube like giveaway type okay. deals. Okay. Okay. Um, and by followers, that means subscribers. Um, that that just shows you how much we pay attention to YouTube. If you haven't yes. noticed, the uh, only thing on there is our chicken tender videos, uh, which, which are- we haven't done for a really long time. And actually, just saying that out loud, I realized that we have a couple more that need to go up on YouTube, which we'll get to probably next year. <laughs> Um, and by next year, I mean 2023. Yes. So um, also, right before, you've already seen well, the guests that we have on uh, this show today. But right before that, um, we did a Zoom call. And I found out that every time that we've done a Zoom call, the video also saves. I thought that it was only selected. I thought we had a problem at first, so it was only selected the audio file. Um, no. No, so we have the video saved as well. So that is going to end up probably being a montage that only goes out to the Patreon pals. Yes. Um, and that, it's not going to be the full-length videos because no. um, my laptop will catch on fire. Yeah, but th- that is important, though, because these these are all lost. It's lost archives. They're relics. We didn't know that will. these existed until yeah. literally, uh, what, an hour ago? Two yeah. hours ago, something like that? So that's all the more reason to head on over wherever you get your apps from. Look on the Patreon app. Look up the Black Flag podcast. Uh, 20% off all merchandise, uh, definitely exclusive content, especially with the uh, the Zoom calls that we just stumbled across. That shows you what an operation this is, honestly, though. High tech. Uh, right off very of high tech. Right off of a MacBook um, that uses GarageBand 1,000% of the time. Y- you'll be able to see that we actually did talk to these people uh, <laughs> right. the whole time. Right. Um, today, I think one of our best that we've ever done, uh, we talked, I don't think, all that much, uh, which usually promotes that it's a it's a good interview so um look forward to uh you guys hearing that later but we did go to pensacola florida um we had ourselves a time we we uh we left wednesday night and uh in the most black flag podcast fashion 
ever. Um, there was an Airbnb all set up. Bradley, very much the uh, the travel coordinator of the group here, uh, very much the mom and dad in terms of uh, making sure everything's all set with all that. And uh, that being said, we weren't allowed to get into the Airbnb until apparently 4 p.m. Thursday. Now, now, now that information I was also <laughs> una- unaware of until uh, we about showed up at the Airbnb. So again, it, I booked an Airbnb and was asked when I was going to show up. And I said, probably midday Thursday, which is pretty uh, standard, I known? guess. Um, w- but then again, you think about it, a hotel check-in is usually three or four or whatever. So I'm like, okay, um, no problem. Well, the guy messaged back, said, what time will you, like, what, do you know at a specific time? And I said, just any time between midday and mid-afternoon. Thought nothing of it, you know, midday to mid-afternoon for me, um, and I would assume most people that know hours, uh, is noon to three. That's probably would have been easier if you just said noon and three, though. Midday is, um, so I don't know what time zone the fellow was on, but yeah, so we, again, we'll go back a little bit. We, we, uh, land in Pensacola on Wednesday, which we have nothing, we have no place to stay. We had been informed that we could crash at. Uh, a friend's Airbnb and so we were most likely going to end up doing that again we probably hadn't just actually had concrete plans though no. um, so we when we landed I was like worst case we sleep in our rental car which we ended up not even getting really so yeah. we land and it's an absolute shit show every time you land in Pensacola for whatever reason because you're landing in Pensacola uh-huh. and you'd think that if you land at 11 o'clock at night after an hour-long military delay in Washington, D.C., our flight landed later than it should have, which in my mind, I'm like, this sucks. That's what, that's cutting into our Florabama or whatever we're going to go do tonight time. We land, get out to the airport or get out to the rental cars. The line is eight people long with one dude checking people in. And not only that, he's letting all the like express rewards members or whatever cut the line. So people are coming off their flights and just cut, getting in front of all of us. So people are getting mad, whatever. And, and I remain very level-headed because um, that's I'm, I'm working on that. So um, I get to the front of the line. The guy goes, thank you for waiting. I see that you're in a, a large S or large sedan. We have a truck. Would you take a truck if you would, if if we offered it to you? Bradley, and, got, and in, Bradley got hustled. And in my mind, he's like, because I, I want to give you a free upgrade. You know, you've been waiting for a long time. In my mind, I'm like, yeah, sure. They'll, like, I'll probably end up with a Silverado or like a an F one fifty, a nice new nice new deal. You know, fuck no, no. The, I, I don't. I didn't know that they made trucks as base model as what we got. It was. It might have been a 2014 Dodge Ram 1500, and it's and again I had a Dodge Ram headlight out, which <laughs> right off the bat, which was in my truck was pretty fucking nice according yeah, to everyone that nice. ever got into it. Well, they they make an express version, which are like I don't know fifteen thousand dollars new, and this was one was probably like five years old. This thing had a fucking compass in it; it did not have a GPS. So um, and again and again, he said compass and again not a GPS. And also, where Charlie and Brad were not Lewis and Clark. Yeah. So I don't know what they thought we were gonna do, <laughs> but again, shit show right off the bat. No no place we we're really gonna sleep in it. Um, all of our friends. Whenever we go to Pensacola, it's great because we have no plans to fly with anyone, mm-hmm. but we always end up flying with everyone because okay. there is a conglomerate of people up here that all go down to the snowball derby and we don't talk but there's not many flights that go from maine to pensacola florida and so there's only so have... many days that you can really get there and get back so it's so yeah your whole town ends up leaving, getting on a plane and going to florida yeah and it's yeah. it's it's wild it's an event and i absolutely love it um and so we land we'd already made the joke oh we don't have a place to stay blah 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 whatever 
Well, then... Uh, yeah, everybody Mike, asks, where are you staying tonight? I don't know. Uh, no idea. So that we're all getting our rental cars at the same time now, and Mike Bryant chirped up and made the joke that, uh, oh, we at least have a bed now, um, <laughs> which... Was actually was the op- was was actually the option like yeah. option C, yeah. um, and so we end up uh, being there for all of ten minutes before we're uh, at the Oyster Pub, just getting some booze and and some French fries and whatever we else they sell. Like tw- not that long. Oh, that night. Yeah. 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 So we were. Uh, yeah. We we. I don't know. Had had a good good <clears> first <throat> night. Ended up crashing uh, with, with a buddy and uh, waking up the next morning and kind of just doing it all over again. And again, so <laughs> we the the, the, the twelve p.m. check in. Um, we planned it out just right. We went to the racetrack. Uh, just hung around for a little while. Said hi to and all the friends. Got our passes. Got all got our passes. Got our parking pass. Everything all out of the way. We go pick Justin uh, Williams up at the airport, and that's when shit started happening. I think. Yeah. So we're like, okay, well, let's go. Last year when we went to the Snowball Derby, it might not have gotten warmer than 55 degrees the it entire didn't. weekend. It didn't. And I it don't think we saw the freezing sun. cold, and it rained Every on day. occasion. This year, we're there for all of eight hours, maybe two hours with the sun up, and it is hot as fuck. And I didn't pack not one pair of jeans or shorts. I only had jeans. Not only that, but I had... Uh, my winter coat, I packed eight BFP beanies, including one for myself, in in three or four sweatshirts, thinking, oh my God. It's December. We just left Maine. It's going to be cold. I didn't pack enough. Like, I was I was under the impression that I was still going to be cold. Like, I was like, oh, I forgot my gloves. That sucks. I need you know, toe warmers. No. 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 I needed shorts. So, we walk into Marshall's. Which makes sense, right? In Florida, which Marshalls is great because you can get $3 shorts at every Marshalls I've ever been in, ever. Um, Apparently, December in Florida is... Florida. Let's just leave out the December. Apparently, Marshalls in Florida, uh, they sell a lot of sweatpants and uh, sweatshirts and uh, parkas. Pants. Just full-blown winter coats. Yeah, like... Like Mind you, puffy, it, it was 70 degrees outside. Like, you're going to look like P. Diddy. It's the, the puffy jacket. They, 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 with, ones. like, fur on it. Yeah. They had, like, the, the freshest squirrel coats that you could get. They had beanies. They had full-blown winter gear. Again, I'm puddling, just, walk <laughs> like, walking through Marshalls looking at this shit. Not a short to be found. No. They, there is quite literally four pairs of shorts, all on the clearance rack. Athletic shorts. A- athletic shorts, yeah. Yes. Like, uh, you're in eighth grade. And, and it's... Yeah. And it's 78 degrees outside, and not, there's not one cloud in the sky. No. As blue as could be. And there, it's the four... So there was one size medium short, so I bought them for all of $4. That's when the shit show and the, the snowball started snowballing. Mm. So, um, pun intended, we end up going to the grocery store. As we do, we walk in. We all get our own case of beer. And I grabbed Pringles and Oreos. Charlie grabbed olives and um, Cheez Its. <laughs> and Justin also grabbed Cheez Its. Um, again, we're going to a million dollar condo. Um, so we were, we're adults. fully prepared. To, you know, we're going to use the stove and shit. Um, and <laughs> I don't think we ever even turned the stove on God, or the no. microwave. No, no, no. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I found that out when I checked my bank statement for the weekend. But so we, we end up showing I'm sc- up. I've been scared to check my We show up to the, uh, the Airbnb. I look down and the guy had sent me like the code to get in everything, but the number for the, the room. And so I'm like, well, oh it, shit! You say room though it, it's <coughs> not it's not a room. It's like a it's yeah. like a goddamn house. It is. 
in, in a in a it's a condo. It's, it's a million dollar condo. Yeah, it had a giant, gorgeous master bedroom. It had a giant living room, giant kitchen, dining area. You walk down the hall. There's closets. There's another kind of master bedroom, and then another spare bedroom. All of which had their own bathrooms. It was it was wild. Yeah, balcony. So, so, but before this, we we get into the parking lot. It's now like one o'clock. We're like, all right, we're perfectly in the window of twelve to three in my mind. I look at the Airbnb app, which the guy had texted me outside of the app or or something, and because um, again I read through everything and he didn't send me the room number or the the house number, the condo number. So that's kind of crucial information. I have the the lock to the key code to the gate to get in, the key code to the door to get in, the key code to the beach to go outside, and the one to the outside pool, but not the room house number. So I go back through the app and I see in very big letters, check in 4 p.m. today. So then I'm sitting there like, oh, fuck. I hope that they're. Mind you, we're there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. So I, I, I message the guy and I'm like, hey, is there any way we can get in earlier? Because like we're in the area. You got to say that because you can't be like, I'm fucking here. Yeah. Or, you, or we could have and probably gotten a little earlier. But so he's like, yeah, uh, I just got to come by and check in to see, you know, what it looks like. Make sure everything's good. Um, and I'll let you know it does between like two thirty and three work or something like that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. So as we do, we walk, get, we get out of the car. Uh, I changed my shorts and we walk to Florabama to pregame getting into our condo. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we that, go down. That did happen. <clears throat> yeah. That quite literally. after having beers in the truck in the parking lot. Yeah. Um, so we get some some food in us, whatever. We come back, we get in, and we very quickly are like, "Oh my god, there's we should." Like you're gonna see, it, everyone can see it in the vlog. Yeah, that's way too nice for us. And I said, "Should we just leave?" Because yeah. we probably should have. Again, going back to the YouTube page here, there there is a four day uh, individual series of each day of just quick three four minute recaps of the day, and it it they perfectly encapsulate where these fucking stories come from because yeah you know, we talked a lot about trying to get video content out these are perfect i will give you all the credit in the world you nailed all of these um so it, it's uh -huh. a good 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 opportunity to head on over to youtube check those out and see what the fuck we actually do because be it's also great for us to remember the next day it's it was yeah it was great for us it was it was great to watch them over again um and just be like oh yeah that happened as well there's so many videos that didn't make the cut which is fuck it's just it's frustrating and like just trying to trim everything down into like, like I, we had one one of the videos. Justin recorded twenty five minutes of us walking through the pits. Yeah. So for the first six or seven, we're talking to Priest. Then we're talking to Nasty. We're talking to Freddie Kraft. We go talk to Derek Griffith. We go talk to, and so a bunch of the video content is just dropped, you know, from the video because yeah. like I would wake up still drunk from last night, just like MGK says and sit out on the balcony and edit these videos in like 25 minutes. And I just had to make, you know, oh, I remember this short clip. And then what sucks and adds to my crippling anxiety that I already have day in and day out is like throughout the day, I'm like, fuck, I forgot to put that in the video. I was just scrolling through my deleted videos from the weekend and I didn't even put any of the content from when we got to the airport in Portland uh, when we were sitting at dinner or like sitting at whatever at the bar in Portland or the flight there yeah. or like landing, like there was a whole bunch of shit that I just didn't even think about including. Um, so Bradford did, a, he did an all right job at, at making the, the, the montages, I guess, but B minus. it was cool. It was cool to walk out and, you know, I would basically go edit the video up, upload it to YouTube, go grab a beer, 
shower, whatever, or vice versa, then put on clothes, uh, or vice versa and come back out. And you guys would all be like watching the video from the last night in the living room. And there was a couple of times that people were like, you, you're pretty fucking good at this. And I'm like, I'm no, I'm not like, this is, I, I cannot stress that this took me 20 minutes on iMovie. And like, it was just it, half of the shit's not even in there, but so go over to YouTube, please watch that. And we'll get into the first day, uh, which we don't needless to say, that little buddy is one lucky motherfucker. I don't know if you. Oh my uh, god! I'm yeah. sure everyone's seen the helmet picture, but he. I don't, what, what's his name? Uh, Hunter Thompson. Hunter Thompson. That happened literally right in front of us. Yeah. So it is prelim night. It's the snowball derby. It's the biggest show you know in the country. Uh, it's it's just a, one of those days to get hyped up for Sunday. And we're sitting there. We're, we our, our spot typically at, at, apparently at Five Flags now is between turns one and two if we're in the stands, and we had picked the absolute like top corner piece going into turn one and that motherfucker just got right reared right in front of us and he hit <coughs> dome first into the into the wall yeah the, the video makes a really disgusting thud yeah one thing that i forgot uh, i guess we kind of talked about with with priest is that track you're hauling ass around that track. And when we're watching the truck qualify from the infield, there's a video in the vlog of a truck flying by down the front chute. And, like, that's I'm, not even I'm, the fast part. No, and I'm watching and I'm like, holy shit, like that guy's going so fast. That was like the third slowest truck out of the 28 that were, that yeah. were there. And so, like, like Charlie said, we go sit in that spot. Well, that's not even the first guy that got right reared into that exact spot. No. Like, some guy also got right reared going down the front chute, which is an egregious move, especially turning into one. Um, the problem that uh, the Hunter Thompson ran into before he ended up flipping through the air and into the catch fence and, like, hitting his head on the wall um, is it was kind of like the same deal with, with, like, Austin Dillon. You see, like, the... The guy gets turned sideways and then hit by another car, which then just lifts the thing right up off the off the ground. And what saved him, <clears throat> and you can see that if you if you pay close attention when you're watching those truck races, there's a lot of different schools of thought in terms of how you build them. Okay, uh, prime example: Luckus, our good pal, Luckus Leon, uh, Lucas Leone. He's got a pretty gnarly center section cage area in that thing. They, you know, trucks typically they're high and tall and you know very tall center of gravity things like that well a lot of these guys what they've started to do is they've started to offset the chassis like a late model or this cages anyway um lower them to get that center of gravity down and you can tell just in the stands you know the back kickers they're coming off the halo at an angle you know they're not coming straight down like you know all the other ones where the cages are you know a thousand feet up in the air well this little buddy's truck he had one of those offset halos with the kickers coming off to the you know the left to the right and you're like oh, that's interesting just things that i notice and um, being a little technical on it but uh what saved him is when he got right reared he, the truck turned he got hit in the door and the truck went to flip head first into the wall but what saved him is that it started to flip just a pube earlier than hitting just square on the roof and it actually rolled a little bit onto the passenger side to crush down on it on that instead of directly on his head mind you his head still hit the fucking wall uh, but it didn't hit directly on top uh, and, like, crush him down into the thing, which that would have been bad. And you see it in the video of the vlog number one there. I've, we've been doing this for a long time. Uh, it's, you and I now have been doing this for three years almost. Yep. Three years. Yep. That's wild. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I didn't me, even realize that. Me personally, I've been doing going to racetracks <laughs> for over 20 years. 
that was the first time that I have seen somebody wreck. And, and most of the time they get out, they walk out. You don't think anything of it. We, we've become kind of accustomed to big hits and people walking away from them. That was the first time I saw somebody hit and I was like, he's dead. Yeah. I was like, there's no fucking chance that that kid is walking period. And he gets out, gives everybody a thumbs up going into the ambulance. And what he, he broke a T5 yeah. vertebrae yeah. and he's got a pretty gnarly headache, I guess, which that, that makes sense. Right. When you right. bounce off the wall with yeah. your face. Yeah. So that yeah that was that was scary that that was very much the first time that I ever thought that someone died as well um, and luckily he didn't and I didn't know so that video was was taken obviously and the people that were sitting around us in the grandstands wanted me to like text it to them and I was like no, no. <laughs> and th- like I waited until he got out of the car or got out of the truck which some fucking miracle um, and then yeah that went right on YouTube yeah. so and th- it was gnarly it was just a cell phone video that you know it. It just you don't expect something like that to happen you know it's getting getting two to go you're thinking that something cool is going to happen but not a wreck like that um you don't ever expect that and there's a reason why i've never seen anything fucking like that before in my life i mean it's something it's one thing to to, we we probably won't see that again for another 20 years something like that which that's it's just nuts and current update by the way on the video cell phone video of cuzzy hitting the the wall there with his dome piece hundred and two thousand views yeah so the 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 thing with it's like so you see that happen at I I was at Waterford so um well we were at Waterford I forgot you were there th- that time right yes so a month and a week ago six weeks ago we we saw a modified hit the catch fence <laughs> and you not that you expect it but open wheel racing yeah that can happen like you can get airborne pretty fucking easily you, you don't see a street stock truck doing that no fucking ever e- even but even going back on the modified wreck at Waterford. We were sitting there, and I was like, he's fine. The driver's fine. And you know immediately that he's fine. Yeah. The car- I was worried about the fucking dozens of oh people God, yeah. standing behind the fence that the car fucking went through. Yeah. That was a way different wreck than what we saw. Um, but at both places, the fences did very much did their job. Um, just at Waterford, shit kind of just came all... F- fucking apart and, and you're like oh my god somebody just got hit in the face and for us two that have been at waterford and watched from that spot you are sitting on the racetrack yeah so that one was definitely scary in that aspect but again the driver it was pretty evident uh, almost immediately the driver was fine when he got out and went to go try to kick the other guy's ass so um that was basically the the fry uh, what took you know the headlines on on thursday um and you know again go watch the vlogs there's gonna be shit that we missed that, that's gonna end up being in there but um that was cool uh casey roderick i believe picked up the win in that race he so, did burned um, it the fuck down yeah. afterwards too yeah uh, i guess he, he was told uh you know just melted down and he did well the the driver i believe of the truck had died of covid that's what yeah they said something, something like, like that, that. that so yeah. uh he was, i'm sure he was doing that as like a tribute as well so yeah that was cool to see we um, like a case cool, cool way to yeah cool way to end the the night there um the, i've never seen the track kudos to the track workers because when uh, anything hits the catch fence you're assuming you're not going back racing that night and they were back racing within like an hour it was it didn't yeah. seem like it was a crazy was 90 amount minutes, of time something like that yeah um which you know it was more just it ended up turning into a social hour of going to uh you know go and talk to a bunch of people a bunch of friends that all just witnessed the same thing happen and, and mind just, you this truck took chunks out of the wall like pretty hefty sized chunks out of the wall took the catch fence and the post down so that was not going to be a five-second project by any means. So no. we, I think we knew that. And, and going back to the Snowball Derby and, and the allure of it and, and the event that they make it, 
it's like a it's it's we say it often, but it's like a NASCAR race. It's like a fucking carnival. It, it's it's you know you've got you you've got you know carny food. You've got fried Oreos. You know the the deep fried hot dogs and corn dogs, all that stuff. Your burgers, all that stuff, all over the place. It's it's like going to a festival for race cars, and uh, the fuckload of people there just adds to the atmosphere. And that was only night number one. Yeah, yeah. Night number two was uh, pretty tame. They just had the the modified race, and uh, they had <clears throat> obviously snowballed every qualifying, which is about like the that's a show in and of itself. That's that's like almost the best part of the whole weekend, um, which is very weird to say about anything with single car qualifying. But like we've said, they do such a good job of selling it. Um, so yeah, that that was really what we were showing up for, and it was cool to go chit chat with all of our our buddies. We were pretty fucking late um, almost every single day uh, yeah. for one reason or another. Uh, the reason was for Bama, but so we we ended up showing up right before everything started, kind of grabbing a couple beers, going up to the spotter stand. It was cool to witness it up there and uh, watch everything happen. I think part of that why we were not in a rush to get to the racetrack every time this time is because last year it was forty fucking degrees outside, so we're just hunkered down and go to the racetrack, and that was it. Um, and then this year sunny 75 and we're like you know let's go let's go enjoy some of this like let's go put our fucking and i hate the beach but god damn it was it nice to eat and put my feet in the sand and look at the 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 water and all that stuff and you know we ended up one one night we're watching part of fucking qualifying on our on on the cell phones there at at florida (laughs) yeah there wasn't really there wasn't a ton that ended up going on on friday we ended up obviously going and watching qualifying watching the mods um and uh the um, one thing that I really noticed was that all of our friends made it in, in, you know, the third, the top 30, which, which worked out well, um, at least for the most part, all of our friends and, uh, all the, all the cars with BFP stickers on, I should say. Yes. So that, um, friends of the program. Yeah. That, that all, that obviously helps. <coughs> uh, stickers obviously adds for, add for some speed. Yeah, you're either going to win uh, or you're going to flip. Then we went over and, and watched the, uh, the modified race over in turn one and two. And, uh, I believe, who the fuck won that? Actually, I have no idea. So those modifieds are fucking gnarly. Yeah, for what they are, they are they're they're called Florida mods. They're similar ish to a a Pro All Star Series modified, um, but there's like no engine rules or anything like that. So you got these homemade fucking modifieds with like old cup motors in them, and they are going very fast. And uh, they they put on a pretty decent show. Yeah. There's a fuckload of those things too. Yeah, yeah. They did they did put on a good show, and they <coughs> they uh, they didn't wreck as much as the outlaws did the next night. Holy fuck! That outlaw race. But so let's get let's yeah. just get into Saturday Holy because fuck. Friday Friday we'll we'll move on. Friday was was Friday the night that we just kind of Friday was when you met, went to uh, when we went to uh, the Oyster Pub. And then the Oyster Pub. We were there for literally a collective seven Was minutes. that Friday when we, we yeah. decided to stay in Pensacola? Or yes. was that the next uh, No, I think that was Saturday. I don't remember. Yeah, it all blends together. Yeah, so, it was Saturday because yeah. we were with our pal there. and he. Uh, so Friday we ended up yeah. just, I think, going back to Florida. Man, kind of a tame night for us and um, and went into Saturday. Well, Saturday yeah, we, we woke right. up and decided that we were going to chill for a while. So um, we sat out on the balcony obviously had a couple of adult beverages that we had had in the fridge with our Cheez-Its and um, 
made our way down to the beach. We ended up getting to Florabama around like 12 and just kind of sitting there. That was cool because we had all kind of realized that um, we had had probably our quota for flo- fried food for um, the weekend. So we were in, we ended up sitting out on the beach, and I think at least four out of the five of us got That's salads salad, yeah. So um, and bushwhackers. So we were kind of – we had a little bit of a con- conflict of interest there. <laughs> but um, Basically adult chocolate milk. Yeah, a frosty with booze in it. Yeah. So <laughs> we're sitting out on the beach enjoying that. That was fun. And uh, we ended up making our way upstairs and watching um, once the live music started, really. We ended up watching qualifying for the Outlaws on our cell phone. Everything started at, set at 2. And I believe it said <coughs> Snowflake qualifying was going to start at 2. And we were very much still sitting there at 3.30? Something like that. So, yeah. But we, we, we should have known how the Outlaw race was going to go when they wrecked what six cars in single car qualifying yeah something like that single car qualifying well it was great because we were a handful of people wrecked by themselves and i and i blame them and i blame them for how intoxicated we got that day because we were sitting at the bar um just just throwing them back and the more that they wrecked the more we realized oh shit we don't have to go to the racetrack really anytime soon and and the racetrack's like 35 minutes 40 minutes away from florabama so we had to go like at some point ways but we're just sitting there and we're like oh let's do shots now let's i'll take another red bull vodka um and so yeah we ended up obviously making our way over to the racetrack eventually a couple expensive uber rides yeah, 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 and then so we ended up uh, going to the races that night, uh, watching the uh, the snowflake. That um, we watched the B main first. Uh, our good friend B main Bobby made the race yes. through the B main, uh, winning it. That would be Noah Gregson. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so we had we had a good time there and uh, enjoyed that thoroughly while we were drinking bushwhackers up in the grandstands, mm-hmm. um, causing an absolute fucking scene. If you go back and watch the vlog I from that night pretty fucking drunk at that point we saw yeah yeah for sure um i i I said something about planting his flag on the (laughs) mountains of the race cars yeah yeah pulled that out of my ass i don't i still wasn't really sure what you were saying because we were wearing lapel mics (laughs) at the time and i think charlie was trying to talk to the microphone on my cell phone (laughs) um so there was a mic very much right underneath his chin um that was about on um yeah, it was a, it was it had about had enough of the yelling. So uh, I didn't really know what exactly was said, but you do hear the uh, the B main Bobby and and uh, from the LCQ to the snowflake and Holy fuck. it was it was funny because I think it was maybe that day we we took turns being drunk apparently <laughs> yeah because we we had left and Justin was a little tuned up mm-hmm. he was a little tuned up and then you had gotten tuned up and he t- kind of died off a little bit and then I ramped it up and then. Then we all kind of just met each other in the middle again at the end of the night. And, yeah, uh, it was a, it was fucking aggressive. I don't I don't know I don't remember <clears> being <throat> like like super tuned up because I, I thought yeah I know that <laughs> I've been I know I've been told otherwise, <laughs> but I don't remember like I think that probably the food that we got for somehow from Uber Eats in our car. Um, oh oh my god I forgot about that. That I think saved my life because <laughs> that had to have been a two hundred dollar Uber Eats order. Oh my god yeah, but so. And that was for originally only two people. Wow. Can you think about that? Yeah. Oh, so th- this is the night. So th- the snowflake happens. Um, <clears throat> I don't really remember, like, any of the cautions specifically that happened in the race. Um, I know that uh, our, our good pal Derek Griffith got caught up in one. I don't know. I didn't see how that started. I really, you know, I think I had my eyes closed. I blinked or something. And, you know, a couple, two, three cars got completely destroyed. 
Um, I have no idea whose fault it was or, you know, what, what really transpired there. Uh, nothing. You, you hate to see our friends get wrecked. Um, Derek and, and, uh, not that I know an Austin McDonald, but we, we were pulling for him. Um, and, uh, you know, Cassius had just not made the race. So that was, that was their time to shine. And, uh, you know, you were looking forward to them having a good, good solid run and Derek Griffith's fast no matter where he goes. But again, yeah, I think that, um, between Charlie and I and everyone that we were sitting with, I think that we just we blinked and just missed really what transpired. So uh, sucks to see that many cars torn up. I'm sure that it was going to be a, a pretty good finish. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, so then we move right into the outlaws, which they was, that was, was a waste of absolute, time. Yeah, that was, was an absolute waste of time. It was um, it they they were so bad. I I I, I can't remember the last time I got up from the stands because I was angry from the race that was on the racetrack i'm scared of i just got a uh, a fly delta notification that says it's your time to fly your flight to atlanta is now boarding at gate four main terminal please note boarding ends 15 minutes prior to <clears throat> departure are you supposed to be somewhere i'm not a thousand percent sure that i extra plane i very 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 well might have because not only did uh saturday or no sun yeah no no s- Saturday and Sunday, there was both extensive talks of me staying an extra night. Um, Sunday, I was pretty convinced that I was going to, like to the point where I probably was going to get a really expensive flight for how many fucking times I was looking at flights. Um, And then I almost was forced to get a new flight. And uh, yeah, I don't know where this. Yeah, we almost missed our flight. I don't know where back. this notification <clears throat> came from, but yeah. So we'll we'll finish up Saturday. Yeah, the LOL race happened. I believe that. Uh, Connor Okrezik won. He yes. typically runs the super late model portion of the snowball derby, I believe. But um, it was cool to see him go out there and get a win. And uh, yeah, then we then that was the night that we ended up getting dropped in Pensacola. Um, it was completely our doing. We decided that we were going to go do that, and um, we went to the Oyster Pub, and um, we were there for quite literally ten minutes. And um, the oysters in there. Let's just say it seems like whenever I go to Florida. Um, the song Sand in My Boots is the most played song uh, for the next couple weeks. And um, let's just say that if we were to to, to oyster, if I, if we had gotten, if we had order, ordered oysters, um, I would be playing it even for probably weeks longer because I'm still playing it. Don't get me wrong. It's just if we had the, the oysters... The, land, looks, land the plane bradley the, uh plane. well apparently i gotta go get on the plane so i gotta take <laughs> off first um but if we would have gotten oysters it would have been a lot worse let's just say that so um we ended up leaving the that's oyster. how you get <laughs> we ended up leaving the oyster pub after a solid uh literally solid seven ten, minutes 10 minute excursion and a 15 dollar fucking michelob or whatever uh not to mention the 15 dollar cover charge and um, we made our way to go eat some food which was great before we went to a different oyster pub for and another maybe six months. For, for quite literally another $15 Michelob um, before we ended up going to this great spot called Wild Greg's I believe um, top one place of the night I get it mixed up with old Greg's a lot because I was alive in 2008 but um, we get to the line to get in and um, there's probably like 15 of us <clears throat> well we're all standing in line and then like half of the group goes around the whole line and they all get in well there is somebody like with like a like a tucked in this motherfucker t-shirt 
He he had buckle like, jeans. Yeah, and like a cowboy hat. Bedazzled all the way down to his fucking cankles. With his eye sod fucking button up, tucked right the fuck in so you could see his bu- belt buckle. Oh, my God. And a hat on backwards. Not like a regular flat bill like you would typically wear backwards, but like a like a baseball hat backwards, like he's a dad. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so he was, if you beat me, my daddy's going to sue. But yeah. It, okay. Very weird. It, his face looked like it was full of, I don't know. Oh, bird, bird shot. shot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's I, the one thing I do remember. I don't know if he, if he just, if he doesn't know how to do acne or if he just never signed up for what, what was that? The proactive proactive but uh yeah he, uh, yeah he lost he he was on his high horse for sure so he starts causing a scene that they let four out of like the six of us that walked up in and so justin and i just so happened to be the last of the the first group that tried to sneak past the whole line so the the dude that took his job entirely too seriously at the actual establishment goes you guys seriously think you could just cut the whole line and i was like what are you talking? Literally, what are you talking about? That is our friends. Those, like, those are our friends. They just walked in. You saw that we were with them, you and let now them in. And now you're yelling at us. And he's like, "I don't care. These people are saying that you cut the line." And I was like, "Oh yes, yep. No, just just Justin and I walked past the whole line, and we're like, we are importanter than these folk. <laughs> Let's go." No, that didn't fucking happen. So basically, I was like giving this guy attitude, and he goes, "Go to the back of the line." So we go to the back of the line. There might be one to two people that are like, they're not in line. They're standing like off on the side of the sidewalks. We go back to Charlie and the rest of the group. So we start walking, like we wait in line. We get to the front of the line. The guy goes, you guys seriously think you can just cut the line again? And I'm like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? And I'm not one to like really get confrontational. Like I'll just, I'll, I'll try to calm the situation down and just be like like listening to what this guy's saying but he is just spewing a whole bunch of garbage so i'm like what are you talking about we literally just went to the back of the line he's like i watched you cut the line again and so i'm like arguing with this guy going back and forth and eventually he go- says you guys aren't you guys just are not coming in and i'm like all right mind you i'm in yeah everyone is in <laughs> like we talked for we went back and forth for so long that there was no longer a line anymore. And he just let you in. And he just let us in. <laughs> and it was like, what the fuck was the whole point of that? Because everyone was going to go in anyways. So you didn't let us go in with our friends. And then you didn't let us go in with our friends again. So it's like, what the fuck? And you didn't let us doing? go in with the strangers. Yeah. yeah. Like, I was just, oh, my God. It was just such pain in the ass. But that was kind of, that was way overshadowed by how much fun it was in there. That place was sick. Yeah. Uh, we, we, I, was, I was pretty pumped to walk up there. And it was all just racing folk again we had we had our own little gaggle uh not the gaggle but our own substitute gaggle our pensacola gaggle yeah for the time being <clears throat> and uh we we're just hanging out and this is just some it's a massive dance floor it's like an old i don't know warehouse or something but the whole floor is just a, it's a dance floor and i i i went to take a piss and i came back and, and as i'm walking like kind of on the outskirts of the dance floor to come back to the bar the the whole floor is flexing like you there is that many people in there you feel the entire building underneath your feet flexing well apparently the building's built on sand or something like that and the whole, it's, it's supposed to do that but it i thought everybody was going to die i thought we were going to be on the news that's how many fucking people were in there did you not feel that um i i felt a lot of things that night that was not one of them okay no i i was full I don't. I don't even remember that much of being inside of there. I, I have no idea. In the vlog, you very clearly see someone come and take me like 
like pull my arm or something like out of the video of, of us dancing, which I wasn't even dancing at that point. I was just playing ring around the Rosie or something. And someone comes into scene and pulls me and I have no fucking idea what, where I went, why I went, but my face is full on. Like we're going that way. No, no recollection of that happening whatsoever. Um, every single person that was with us was talking about the floor flexing. Don't really remember any of that. So no, uh, had a pretty good night. And uh, we ended up going back, and uh, we we're trying to have a, a bit of a, a bit of a house party, if you will. And we didn't realize that they don't sell alcohol on Sundays at 3 a.m. in Pensacola, so we didn't do alcohol. So we stopped the night there. We ended up getting in an, a very expensive 45-minute oh, Uber, where the guy was talking about um, fighting someone, Uber fighting someone with a gun. Yeah. So. I don't really remember much of that either, actually. But uh, so yeah, then 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 it was Sunday. Then it was Sunday, Snowball Derby Day. Um, big day, big great day. So we we uh, we talked to our buddy, our buddy Tim the day before, and and we were gonna go hang out with him on the infield, and and uh, we were trying to get him to save us a parking spot, which we probably ca- probably could have, um, but we also didn't show up until like the race was starting, because that's kind of just how we operate is we have full intentions on being places on time. And then it just somehow doesn't happen. So, um, here's to being on time. Yeah. Again. And, and I'm very much an on-time person. Like I, I was clammy the whole way to golf the next morning, but so we show up and, and we try to drive in like we own the place. We very much are told, fuck you. We don't have any more spaces, which was a complete lie because there was a shit ton of space, um, on the infield, but that, uh, it was not neither here nor there. So we ended up walking into the infield uh you know shot the shit for a little while before everything started and uh just ended up watching from the infield because we uh the snowball derby sells out um early like when when i think joey and everyone called like two months ago they didn't have any tickets left it was general admission like sit where you want to sit and so you got to imagine that like out of all those people in the, the last couple two three months they're going to probably be at the race a lot earlier than we were because they probably weren't at old Greg's until 6 a.m. Mm. Or at least wild not Greg's. home wild Greg's until <laughs> 6 a.m. <laughs> old Greg, uh, yeah, great guy. So whatever, we, we ended up watching from the infield because we only had two actual grandstand tickets. The rest of our, our gaggle didn't have any. So, And I wasn't really all that – I didn't really care all that much because throughout the whole weekend we kind of all came to the con- – like the consumption, Jesus Christ. We did do some consumption, but the assumption that Derek Thorne was – probably going to dick stomp the field because it's the third year in a row that he won the poll i believe and he dick stomped the field last year and did everything but win um so watching from the infield was super cool um was was, we were fed well uh we ran out of alcohol way too early because we had a separate bag packed that we thought we were going to just keep in the truck and uh, our travel bag didn't have enough room so that was a bummer, but I uh, ended up walking around, seeing the views uh, from around the racetrack. was was a pretty pretty good view. Um, was able to see everything, you know, kind of transpire coming down the back, shooting to three and four the whole time. Uh, was able to watch the pass that uh, Chandler Smith, well, the the move that Chandler Smith put on Derek Thorne to take the win. Um, but we talked a little bit more about the race, you know, on with with Ryan Priest coming up here. So uh, be Might sure as well to hear to from the guy who ran second yeah. most of it and you know ended up finishing fourth instead of us idiots on the infield. But. Yeah, I will say that if we're gonna get into, we we should probably do our uh, Williams race gears yeah. grinds my gears. Do you, do you have a grinds your gears? I do. All right. So um, yeah. uh, this is a segment again brought to you by Williams race gears. John Williams, we love a John Williams here. 
Um, it, it, it's one of those deals where, uh, you know, hopefully it's uh, it's our own thing. Somebody doesn't steal it. But uh, this week's Grind My Gears is brought to you by Williams Race Gears, where you get NASCAR quality gears and transmissions new or rebuilt right here in New England. The only gears that should be grinding are in this segment. Get your shift together. Choose Williams Race Gears. What grinds your gears, Bradley? You can tell that we didn't make that because that was clever. So um, <laughs> what grinds my gears is everyone and their cousin ever, um, which I get while, while they're doing it, but say, like booing Chandler Smith and just being completely, you know, just what a bonehead move, stupid fucking. He won the Snowball Derby. It's the biggest super late model race in the country. <clears throat> it's the biggest win of his career, arguably, at this point. He's won some truck shit. But this is the Snowball Derby. This is what he's he's raced the last few years, and anyone in that position is going to do it. I understand why people are mad. Um People weren't as mad last year when Ty Majeski did the same thing. So, so it, it's one of those situations where it's 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 almost a lose lose. You, you're there to win the biggest race of the year, the biggest race in the country, arguably. And if you're running second, no matter who you are, you you're at least thinking about making that move. If you make that move, it's just again the conversation of oh well, it's the biggest race of the year. Oh, he's a cunt, and it's. You know, it, it, I think it just goes back on popularity. I don't know that Chandler Smith is nearly as popular as a Ty Majeski. Uh, that's probably why that, that kind of runs the way that it did. Um, people kind of leave out the fact that Johanna Long did the same thing when she won the Snowball Derby. Uh, it's, not, uh, it's not the first time it's ever happened. It's certainly not the last time it's ever going to happen. Is he a cunt? Maybe. I don't know. Is it for the biggest race in the country in the, in the, in the year? Also, Yes. So it, it's it's one of those things, and it's and it's a lose lose. I think Derek Thorne's becoming ever more popular when he keeps showing up and keeps running so well and deserving to win, and then he ends up not winning. But well, it's also it's, one of those things where you, you, if I'm Derek Thorne and you show up, you absolutely you've dominated the weekend. You've won practice. You won qualifying both races. You won the snowflake. You led 287 laps of the 300. Yet you're still the guy who gets moved out of the way to win every year. At what, at what point do you not give it back? At what point do you just keep getting punted out of the way? At what point are you not the guy that just swerves at somebody after the race? You know, you, you got to do something about it or else it's just going to keep fucking happening. It, it grinds my gears that people are, throw, are as upset with Chandler Smith. And I, I understand why, but I, I can only imagine how much more upset they would have been if Derek Thorne wasn't able to hold on to that race car. If Derek Thorne had done what Bubba Pollard did last year and just loop it, Chandler Smith probably doesn't even win the race. Probably. Um, so it was, you know, yeah. it, it's a it's a lose-lose situation, and kudos to Derek Thorne. I, I was happy to see Chandler Smith win just because it makes me look smart, and I am very much dumb. So... That's two years in a row that I predicted the winner. Um, next year, I will have to pick one of our friends. I think I got the snowflake right. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I got one of them. Right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna end up having to do that next year because that's the second year in a row, and I want to see one of our friends win. I don't want to see you know fucking. I don't even know who Chandler Smith is. So, but 2022 did... snowball derby winner. Who is it? Uh. Steven Nassie. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Either him or well, Derek Griffith. Well, yeah. Because so, Derek Griffith, he's gone out there. He's been competitive every time. Uh, he's, he knows how to win races. He knows how to figure them out. And this is the one kind of like everybody else where he he's there. He's there. He knows how to get there. But it's I, I think that they've shown speed. They know how to not do what they need to do at this point. And I think that they're going to be pretty strong next year. I think Nassie knows what to do because he, was, he has not been on a hot streak, I would say, in no. the last year or so. Bubba um, Pollard. 
and then he shows and then he shows up to the snowball derby and and nasty was quick all day um had you know worked his way up from the back and had a chance to chance to win well chance to have a better finish than he did i think he still finished like six or something like that yeah. but he was he was uh he was pretty up there Gore, I, that was good to see i don't really care for black race cars that was a fucking sexy looking race car yeah because it was like if you got up close to it, it wasn't really black it was like charcoal with like flakes and shit the whole thing was wrapped I, every body panel on that was white by the way uh yeah. the whole thing was wrapped um gorgeous race car yeah. Gorgeous race car. Yeah, we're we're both very much on the same impression, or under the same impression. And I, when we I, first don't, that, I don't but, really like black race cars. So, and and that being said, we did just leave out our friend Ryan Priest, but you'll hear later that he says that he doesn't know what he's going to end up doing next uh, this coming year yeah. um, when it comes to you know running local short track stuff. I think that he will be in the Snowball Derby next year, but he didn't really confirm that. So he said that that's one of the biggest races you'll hear. Um, but yeah. we'll, we'll uh, very very much a. a a dude's dude, we'd, very much a race car driver. We'd very much be thrilled if he was to go out there and win the snowball derby. Let's just say that, that. would be badass. Yeah. yeah. Um. And so, yeah. I mean, the, the snowball derby was kind of everything that we expect. I guess I expected. I kind of thought Derek Thorne would run away with it, which he did, which is why we ended up watching from the infield and Chandler Smith ended up winning at the end. But yeah. we're we're never not going to the derby. Your gear grind. My, uh, you know what grinds my gears, Bradley? What? Presented Tra- by Williams Race Gears. Presented by Williams Race Gears. Um. When I tried to get Chick-fil-A at the Atlanta airport, <coughs> that was way too much of a fucking project. Yeah. And and maybe this lady, she works at Chick-fil-A for a reason. Um, she, I walk up. What do you want? Uh, oh, my God. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, number one and a number two, just a sandwich. No, what's your name? That Well, that's not what you asked me. It's Charlie. Okay, what you want? I, I, literally, just, I just, literally just told you. I want a number one and a number two, just a sandwich. It's a spicy chicken sandwich, regular chicken sandwich, easy. And it's like she's it's she's like looking at me like I'm stupid, which that makes sense. But like uh, she fucked the whole thing up. And I was like, no, I want just the sandwich. Well, you're supposed to say entree. It's like I told you I wanted just the sandwich. Well, sure, you could put it on a tray. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, I don't <laughs> give a fuck what you do. I, I ordered a nice tea, never got it. Um, went back. We sat down at that little bar thing. Didn't even get Chick Fil A sauce or anything. I was I was cunty the whole time, but that's what grinds my gears. Don't fuck up my order. No, yeah. I literally said just the sandwich. That's not hard. Couple uh, couple housekeeping that we that we missed out on. We ended up doing chalk and milk shots with our buddy Otis at Waffle House the first <laughs> night that we were <laughs> I forgot there. Forgot about that yet. Um, great guy. He uh, he <clears throat> goddamn workhorse that fella right there. He's Best great. Waffle House server in the league. Yeah. So if you're anywhere near Pensacola, go and say what's up to our boy Otis because he's definitely there. He's he's the one right across from Floribama. Yeah, hundred percent. So, uh, which mind you, brilliant move to put a Waffle House in front of Floribama. Oh my God, yeah. And we were for whatever reason like the only ones that utilized that, but we yeah. we very much did the first three nights. Um, but so the one one of the, the last night that we were in there, I guess. There, there's some dude that's clearly a local walks in like he owns the place as locals do. That guy. <laughs> oh, fuck. Great A schmuck. This guy is saying that he, you know, he, he like killed like the, the biggest alligator that you've ever seen. He and, shot and a he, shark. And he like manhandled a shark or, you know, sh- like hit it with a sword or something. And so he's telling us all these stories and they're, they're pretty believable. And uh, he orders like an egg and onion sandwich. Just oh, my those God. Two. Scrambled eggs, onion, mayo, bread. Yeah. So, I was like, that's fucking foul. So then he stands up and eats it the whole time while talking to everyone that works at Waffle House. And this is like a 15-minute conversation. Our boy Otis is like best friends with the guy. You can tell that, you know, that they shoot the shit all the time. This guy is not more than a foot and a half out the door. And Otis just looks and just goes, 
man, that guy is so full of shit. You can <laughs> see him coming from a mile away. And the whole place, uh, all five of just us, just start dying laughing. And he's just like, he didn't fucking kill no shark. It was it was hilarious. Now he was the man. And uh, that was great. We had, to, we had to keep going in and seeing him. And then we all passed away after one of the times we went to Wildflowers for the, well, the fifth time. But yeah. uh, we ended up not being able to go back. But, uh, yeah, Sunday, Sunday was uh, – was another adventure. Um, back to Florabama. Oh, no, we went to Mulligan's first. Cause an absolute fucking scene. You'll see all of this shit. We don't yeah. even really need to talk about it. It's all in the vlog. Uh, so it wasn't Mulligan. It's uh, Maguire. Oh, yeah, or something, Maguire. Right? Something like yeah, Why yeah. did I call it Mulligan? Did we go? Because like Mulligan's is in Biddeford. Well, there's a Mulligan's. We went to a. I swear. Was that we, Riverhead? I don't remember. Another we went, we went to. I swear to God, we went to a Mulligan's like in the last week and a half. Um, but so we went to McGuire's. You're right. We went to some bar first because it was a wicked long line. Um, just ended up causing a scene and ticket uh, sport. You'll, <coughs> yeah, you'll see it all. You'll very much see that in uh, in the vlogs. But so we we had a good time on on Sunday. So good of a time that uh, a five o'clock bedtime, five a.m. bedtime was uh, was in order. And I uh, woke up at eight thirty. Played Morgan Wallen as loud as you could on the television, and um, stumbled just out, cleaned, that. just stumbled out right at the last minute that we possibly could. Um, our friend, we broke Justin. Oh um, my god, <laughs> he <laughs> got so fucked up Sunday night that on the way to Bradley's tea time, which we're in our mind head. you. Oh, that's another grinds my gears. I think we hit every fucking red light in the state of Florida. Oh, my God. I feel so bad for Weeder. So so a little backtracking. We went to the Oxford 250, obviously. Well, the Monday after, uh, Weeder, Nassi, and I, and, and Reagan ended up having a tea time at like 11 o'clock. And 11 is like a time that you should be able to make, realistically. And we all showed up. Weeder was already there, which for golf, it's like very prim and proper. 11 o'clock tea time be there basically at 10 45 and check in and be ready to go we showed up at all of like 11 13 um and just acted like that was there was no problem with that even though they had the t-sheet was waiter pissed for the oh well he's pretty not thrilled um and that's that was the first time so i and it wasn't more that i don't know that he was pissed but i just felt terrible about it and uh, we all did so going into going into this we're playing i'm playing in the weeder nation golf tournament right after the snowball derby and uh, Nassi is as well. And so I'm like, we cannot be late. After the Derby, I go over and I talk to Nassi. I'm like, don't be late tomorrow. Like, we, let's let's be on time. So I look it up uh, the night before. It was a 36-minute drive from the Airbnb to the golf course. So I'm like, perfect. We leave at 10. We'll be there, you know, by 1040. We hit traffic getting across the bridge from the, like, peninsula that we were staying on, whatever island that is, to the back to the mainland, and we sat there for 20 minutes because they only had one lane open on the bridge. Mind you, they weren't even fucking working on the bridge. And this is, like, a two-mile-long bridge. Yeah. They were, they were not even working yet on the bridge, and there was just... It was so fucking egregious. So we finally get to the other side of the bridge. We go one light, red light. One light, red light. Then we're halfway down, like, a 55-mile-an-hour stretch, and I get tapped from the back seat and have to yank it into the grass so that Justin can throw up into the grass. So then I'm, like, sitting there, like, fucking it. So I'd already messaged Weeder before we left, and I was like, I'll be there by 1045. Well, I had to send him a picture of Justin, you know, bent over in the grass to show him what I was working with at this point. So uh, we we showed up. wasn't too, too late. It was, like, like 11.03, but... (laughs) Uh, by God, did Nassie and I not show up at the exact same time? Because yeah. uh, I get out of the truck, I start walking up the the walkway or whatever, and he goes, "Hey, hey!" And I'm like, "Yep, we fucking both just did the exact same thing." <laughs> <laughs> Even though I very much knew that uh, w- that we were going to be on Weeder's shit list, which we weren't. He was everyone was still in there, no one was really in a hurry, and it was good. We uh, we didn't upset him. You left out so so Weeder's residence for the week. 
uh, with Dalton and, and all them and Mason. <clears throat> well, it was very much adjacent to the parking garage of our con- condo building. Well, off the back porch is the top level of the uh, the parking garage in which you tried to catch uh, some tutters from, from uh, uh, who was that? Who was throwing those? Uh, uh, Zach. Zach, yeah. yeah. So we, we uh, in the, the vlog that I still need to edit that's, that'll be coming out tomorrow, uh, there we... They break down my game film. Yeah. Let's just say coach is not happy and I'm probably going to get cut. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, nice yeah, hands. That feet. was that exactly. Um, so we, we end up late at the golf course, whatever. Justin, the, the minute we pull into a the golf course, pretty nice establishment, opens the door, throws up again. Um, <laughs> right on the, like, <laughs> the golf course, like right on the bottom of the steps. Basically on the, the, the front fucking steps, yeah. um, which was great. So we walk in and naturally a couple vodka Red Bull doubles because I'm just exhausted, need to wake up. Um, didn't have any breakfast or anything. So we're going to get to the turn. I uh, played the first nine holes, whatever. And uh I'm like, oh, I, I really just want a couple hot dogs. And Mason rolls up at this point. He just goes, ah, you're not really getting any fucking hot dogs. We already called the number. We asked them for like seven or eight, and they, they only had seven or six or seven, whatever. But he was like, oh, we bought them all out of hot dogs. And uh, apparently Nasty didn't hear this. So he give, Mason gives Steven his phone, and he calls. He's like, we'll take, uh, hey, what do you want? And I was like, I'll take just like a chicken quesadilla or something. And he's like, all right. And in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to switch to Michelob's now because I'm pretty fucking drunk off these four vodka Red Bulls at this point. Um, and no food and probably was still drunk when I woke up. Uh, and so I'm like, oh, Casey, this sounds great. Michelob's and Nasty goes, we'll take four vodka Red Bull doubles. And I'm like, well, I'm getting fucked up. I'm just, we're, I'm doing eight today. Um, so we end up, I end up staying on the vodka Red Bull train, but at the end of the conversation, he goes, yeah, two quesadillas, four vodka Red Bulls, and I'll, uh, I'll take two hot dogs as well. And the lady goes, oh, we're all out of hot dogs. Well, he's on speakerphone. He looks at Mason, and he just goes, you whore. <laughs> and there's like a two-second pause before we all realize that he's very much still with the speaker in his mouth talking to the lady at the turn, just straight up, <laughs> in her mind, just called her a whore uh, um and so he just goes oh my god ma'am i'm so sorry he's <laughs> like i'm talking to my buddy who just ordered all the rest of your hot dogs and she understood and it was it was just the funniest fucking thing that happened uh on the course at least and then uh yeah i, I jumped on the back of a golf cart to get out of there uh, as soon as we could and i cannot stress enough that our fl- our plane was boarding at 325 we were not there yet we no my god no we, we weren't even at the airport yet we left the golf course at like 310 it's a 15-minute drive, which yeah, those those have worked out well so far today. We showed up at like 3.23, haven't been through TSA, nothing, didn't even have a mask. Uh, I had to borrow a mask from my our buddy Josh. Um, and just it, what an absolute clusterfuck. But we somehow, somehow... We get to the plane, and we still waited like half a fucking hour. We got through... S- quicker than you could ever believe it just i've it, never been through a security checkpoint that quick ever there is no no reason at all that we made that flight no. and it was to the point where you'll see on the vlog that uh the mason is calling buddies in atlanta to see if they want to pick us up to go to the bar um because i was pretty sure i was have to, gonna have to change my flight which apparently i might have i gotta kind of do some more research here but um I think that we should probably get to Ryan Priest. Yeah. Just about so, uh, again, one of the best interviews that we've done. We say that all the time, but this this is a damn good one. Yeah. Um, it's, it's hard because a lot of the people that we have on, we, we haven't really talked to that often. Yeah. Um, you know, we're friends with them, but we haven't really, you know, stood around and had a conversation with them or like, you know, even like with Priest, who we went up to dinner with him in January back yeah. in, in North Carolina, kind of like, like kickstarted everything. And we see him all the time. And 
so you can bounce off people like that easier because you know like you know little things like just that you'll hear about it in the interview but there's a lot of times where we just have someone jump on and, and you we know, don't know anything about it and yeah so that's we kind of learn as we're going and that's why there's there's some slow interviews but this one i think is i mean it's very good it has to be up there, top top three. I yeah. mean, I know that we said that, I believe, about the Andrew Moeller one. That was a really good one as well. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, I think that this one is uh, something that we, uh, we'll we be proud of. Oh, again, Ryan Priest, a dude's dude, a race car driver. Uh, that's just what he does. He Fucking li- wheel man. He's, he likes to win. He's pretty good at it. Uh, doesn't matter what he's in, but uh, he takes you on the journey of who the hell Ryan Priest is and why he likes to go to the racetrack. And, uh, well, I'm just here right now. All right, boys and girls. So, uh, probably one of our biggest VIPs so far on the show. Uh, we, we brought him into it here a little bit, but, uh, with no further ado, uh, this is Ryan priest. What's up, pal. How much it's actually, I did have your sticker on the car. I hope you saw that. <laughs> we did about we did. damn time. <laughs> I know down there. Got another one. I have another, I was cleaning out the pit box actually about an hour and a half ago. And I found, remember the drawer where I put them in there and I said, Hey guys, I'm going to put it in here so I don't lose them. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't lose them. Nobody so I have a in that drawer. <laughs> and you didn't even I, go in that drawer, I guess. <laughs> I went, I went to go, I went to go try to pick up uh, hats yesterday. And the guy that does our stickers is like, I'm sure you guys ran out over the weekend. And I was like, well, I mean, you got you got guys that you give two of them to, and then you got to give two more of them to, and so it was the whole weekend. Everyone <laughs> everyone would take them, forget about them because they're busy, obviously, and we're just shooting the shit, and doing nothing all weekend. So, yeah, ran out of stickers pretty quick, but glad you still have them. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and then make it on the car, so that's good. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, typically, the way that these these things go down is, you know, we're like, who who the hell are we talking to? You know, who, who the fuck is on the other end of this? But um, I think at least more than four people have heard your name. So, uh, I mean, obviously you're Ryan priest, but tell us how you end up with a steering wheel in your hand. Take us from the beginning to, you know, this past weekend. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like so many of our stories as race car drivers, they kind of blend, they all, they all remote, they, they all sound so similar, right? Uh, if you aren't racing a go-kart or a quarter midget by the age of seven, um, you're kind of at a disadvantage. So my story is not much different from any other kids. I, I grew up in Berlin, Connecticut, which is five minutes down the road from a track called silver city, which is where Joey Logano and, you know, Bobby Santos, Doug Kobe, myself, and, and many others that you guys see in new England, that's where we all got our start. And, um, you know, coming from a racing family, which, uh, from my mother's side, uh, was my grandfather. He, he owned modifieds at Riverside park. And, um, and then my dad, he just, he wanted to race when, uh, he was growing up and, you know, I think when he was in his mid twenties, finally had the opportunity to race a street stock and, and he progressed into late models because, uh, Berlin, Connecticut is actually a huge racing town. It's where Greg and Scott Zipidelli are from, uh, the prior brothers who built late models and built my father's late model. Uh, so it's, it's kind of like, uh, well, it is a generational thing for myself, but also as far as like what Berlin, Connecticut is, it's kind of like one of those hidden gems. So, uh, that, that's how I got started. Um, I'll never forget the moment my father bringing me up and down his road in his late model. So I have that memory and, and that's really, that's how I got the racing bug. 
And uh, obviously I'm extremely lucky to come from a family that I did and, and have the opportunities that I've had. So um, I raced quarter midgets until I was probably about 10 years old. I jumped into a go-kart at Whip City for a year and, and then quickly moved into 270 and 600 micros, which raced on dirt and traveled out to Indianapolis, uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, I ran some asphalt Kenya midgets, which are basically a, a full-size midget with a 750 cc engine i i wanted those uh and by the age of 14 i was in a full-blown modified so uh you know lucky me i i you know was i was part of that era where kids at 14 years old was like whoa this is insane you're gonna put a young kid in a race car like this and uh i feel like i myself and bobby santos were really one of the first ones in, in modifieds to do that. So, um, yeah, I mean, just from then to now, it's, it's definitely been crazy. So, so you said that your father raced late models and, and it seems like there was some fenders, you know, dab dabbled in the, the heritage there. So what, what prompted you to go the open wheel route instead of some, some late model stuff? Uh, actually, um, I didn't, I didn't really have any, any route or specific, um, specific way I wanted to go about ra my racing career. I just, I wanted to race. I wanted to win that. That's all I thought about. Uh, it was more of my father. Um, if it was up to me when I was 15, 14 years old, I would have been running USAC. I would have been running uh, sprint cars, silver crowns, midgets. I, I absolutely loved, uh, I remember my dad took me to Nazareth for the final silver crown race there and Tyler Walker won. And, and I was a huge fan of, of that style of racing. And, just coming from Connecticut and, and being in the Northeast and, and how easy, how, how much closer it is for us to race. I didn't, we didn't do what Bobby Santos and, and his family did, which was travel to Indy all the time. Uh, it was just easier for us. So um, when I turned 14, I remember my father, they sold, they sold our micro for, for like $10,000 and bought a turnkey, complete modified it was a 1990 i think one uh troyer modified and i was lucky enough to to be able to go down here in north carolina and and race at some of these tracks down here where they would allow me to race i i had to race outside of the state of connecticut for two years until i could legally be there even though there was probably a time or two that we kind of got me into some roc races at thompson or or some of those other racetracks. So, um, but I will say one story. I'll never forget this. My dad and I, we always used to on Friday nights, uh, it, it would be like five 36 right after dinner. He'd look at me and be like, you want to go to Stafford? We're just sitting here. Let's just go. I'm like, yeah. And like getting in the pits was always something I want to do. Like, I'm sure you guys had this experience, you know, trying to sneak into the pits or get in before you're supposed to. So I remember we had, we had a birth certificate that would say I was 16 years old, this and that. So I was getting in there for so many years. And finally, when I was legally able to get in, the guy looks at it, goes 16, you've been coming in here for like two, three years now. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, it was just, uh, as far as saying why, why open wheel versus late model, I'm not really sure. I, I'm sure it was probably just the the car was extremely affordable to do at that that age. That's fair enough. It, I, I going back on the sneaking in the pits and all that stuff. It, 
you know, around here it, forever and always, it was like a rite of passage to finally get into the pits. Like it was like a whole other hidden little world. And, and uh, Beechridge down the street here, uh, this past year, they opened it up to let who, anybody can come in. It was like almost like, a, well, damn, that they, they don't get it at that point. But no, that, that's cool to hear mm-hmm. that. But, uh, you know, going from modifieds and all that stuff, how do we go from, you know, you, you went from quarter midgets and midgets and all the cool stuff into a modified and, and was the goal to end up racing on Sundays or is that something that has kind of happened? Um, all of us race car drivers, like it's pipe. It, it's a dream. Um, I was just fortunate enough to never give up on that dream and, and keep chasing after it. And, and when you're winning races and, and you have people that support you, uh, that, that want to help you accomplish that goal, it just, it helps getting to this level. It helps make it, become a reality so um but not jumping off subject because i wanted to say this as soon as you mentioned beach ridge so when we were at the snowball last weekend uh, i remember that year uh, it was back in 2005 or 2006 i finished third at beach ridge but i actually broke my wrist uh i think it was three weeks earlier or a month earlier at wrestling camp because i was still in high school so there's a picture this person brought a picture of me like with the third place trophy with like my, not a cast, but it was a, it was a, um, whatever you'd call that thing on there. So, but it was at Beach Ridge. So um, I figured I'd bring that up. That's a cool yeah, story. I like it's, that. It's cool to tie that all together. The one thing that we didn't even know until like, I think probably Friday of this past week was that you actually ran in a snowball derby before. I was yeah. under the impression that you'd, <laughs> you'd like damn near never even seen five flags until this year. And then, you know, I, I just assumed you had never seen a fender before. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> I did run it once. I, I've only driven a super late model one time in my life. I was 17 years old, whatever it was. We made the race. We finished 14th. Um, but by no means do I remember racing at Five Flag Speedway. Like it was a totally new event. Um, and I probably everything that I did right on Sunday, I could tell you, I probably did wrong in 2000. So, um, but man, that was just, uh, you, you think back in your career and I'm sure you can relate to this too. Uh, there's just so many things that if I could go back and tell myself 12 years ago to how to be better, or, you know, just, there's so many things I would go back and do different, but, um, Yes, I did run a super late model one time before, but it wasn't anything remarkable or, or whatever. So it was more or less a footnote, if anything else. Ryan Priest also ran. Because <laughs> <laughs> this guy on Twitter just keeps on like everybody keep there, there's a few people on there that didn't see that I had run the snowball derby before. So they keep saying it's Ryan Priest's first start at this and that, finishes fourth. And this one guy just <laughs> on down post and, and like copy and paste the 2008 article of like me racing there so i i just yeah i don't know <laughs> that's awesome well, i mean there's guys that do the super late model deal weekend and week out that go and they don't even make the snowball derby so it's, it's one thing to you know only run one once but making the race and finishing 14th or whatever that's that's something you know to be proud of i guess well and and here's another story for you guys so chris gabehart are you aware of who he is yes I'm just making. We do. Why don't you tell the listening to us? Dave Hart is Denny Hamill's crew chief. He's also the crew chief uh, that that 
I won Iowa with back in 2017. Um, but funny still, or just, just to let you guys, all the listeners know, Chris Gabehart was actually a badass race car driver, crew chief, everything. Um, back in the 2000s, early 2000s, mid 2000s. Um, well, I qualified 31st that day in 2008 and Chris Gabehart qualified second. He was outside front row and got bounced in tech. And he is actually the reason that I made it in on time. We, we just talked about that this weekend. Like we didn't realize that that was, that was a thing. And, and it was him getting disqualified after time trials that basically got me into that show. Damn. So <laughs> Look, 15 years later, we're working together, you know? It's one big circle at that point. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty wild. But, uh, so, so <clears throat> obviously you had, you had mentioned on the, uh, uh, you had, you had mentioned that, uh, the, the goal is always, you know, a pipe dream or whatever to race on Sundays and things like that. And you, you go, you go and do these tour type stuff and all that stuff. But even while you, you made it to the show, you still kept dabbling. You still kept coming back to the modified ranks. You still, I mean, you, you built a brand new car just to run this past weekend. So what is it that, you know, you, you made it, but what is it that keeps drawing you back down to, to come and do this local stuff? I mean, really it's, uh, cause I mean, a lot of it's probably stay relevant just cause I mean, when you're running 20th in a cup car, yeah, you're, you're in cup, right. But people want to see you win people, people want to And, and I know I'm capable of winning races at any level. It's just, having everything it takes to, to be able to put it all together for myself. So I've felt the need um, to go race those modified races and, and go out there and win. And, and then people kind of started categorizing myself as a modified driver. And, and a lot of people, they don't know my background. They don't know I've come from open wheel, like racing outside of modifieds and, so me knowing myself, I know I can go out and win in anything if I, if I put together you know, pieces to the puzzle. And, and that's what last year, uh, sitting there and, and watching the Snowball Derby, I thought to myself, I'm like, man, I want to I wanna, I wanna do this. I want to put something together and I'm going to put together all, all the right people that I feel like I need to go out there and execute. So um you know, I don't know if you guys want me to get into all the details on this. Yeah. Hell yeah. That's why we're here. <laughs> I'm going to write a short story and it's going to be called 30 days because this was the most, um, I would say mentally demanding task I've ever done in my entire life. So I'll, I'll give you guys the background you're first. One race you're saying it, that was the hardest thing you've done. Well, to, I'm not talking about the race itself. The racing part comes very easy to me. Like some people, yeah. So I'll give you the whole background here. Uh, back in January, I texted Chris, you know, basically saying, hey, I'm looking to get a super late model. Uh, which chassis manufacturer do you, would you recommend me going with? And, you know, I have a Fury relationship because of the Modifieds. And I've also known, you know, Hamke is, is another one that people use. Uh, that was kind of when he, 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 you know, was telling me about each one and, and their goods and, and stuff that he would do. But he also said, if you're willing to wait, uh, check back with me in a couple months, I, I might have something going on. So come March, I 
reached out to him again and said, Hey, you know, I feel like I got to start pulling a trigger here to, to be prepared for this race. And that was when he told me that him and Gary Crooks, who owns Port City, are building a, you know, going to be building a prototype car and they're working on doing this for the Snowball Derby. And uh, so that that's kind of how the whole process started. I asked him kind of what engine builder that he would use and he rec- recommended Dwayne McGonagill. So that was when uh, when Eddie Partridge and I, we started talking about this and and that was when we decided we were going to we were going to start heading in that direction and, and go do this event because Eddie was somebody we, we do modifieds. Right. But two years ago or a year ago, we were testing in Martinsville and he looked at me and said, hey, what's this chili bowl? I'm like, oh, it's only the biggest dirt race in, in the country. <laughs> like, yeah. He's like, oh, let's go run it. And I'm like, uh I, I think we need to run some dirt races first so I can get comfortable, but yeah, let's do it. So I wish I did that, but we, we didn't. Um, so I felt the need to, to go through with this after he passed. Um, but moving forward, I ended up going and meeting with Gary Crooks, talking with him, uh, put the deposit down on the car and everything just started from there. Well, this is, this is a process. They were working through a bunch of the building and, and a lot of stuff that Chris wanted to design to, to really make this his ideal super late model. And uh, look, it took a bit. You know, you can't rush rush those items if you're going to go out and, and want it to perform the way you want it to, to do. So I didn't get my car. I didn't pick my car up until November 1st. And by when I mean I picked my race car up, I picked it up. I had them mount the body on it because I'm, I'm not, I don't have a, uh, uh, what, what's that claw thing? Claw thing. We'll call it the claw thing. You know, us modified guys. We're used to Zeus's that that's. (laughs) Yeah. You need a little bit more than a screwdriver to put one of those together. Oh yeah. So I picked up my car. They mounted the body. That's what it's called. What? The referee. The referee. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So (laughs) I picked up my car it wasn't powder coated. I had them out the body. So I, when I got home, I had to drill everything off in sections, take the body off and bring it to powder coat, which is uh, Ryan Flores. He's actually a uh, tire changer and a really badass indoor racer. Uh, he has a powder coating business flow coating in Huntersville. And I, I kept on telling him, Hey, this is when I'm picking the car up. I need you to do me a favor and just get this thing done. He had it ready that night the day I brought it there, which is talk about as good a service as you're ever going to get. So I picked the car up that morning and I'm telling you right now, I thrashed. I worked every hour of every day. I was awake on that car when I was home because there, you got to think about that too. So I pick it up November 1st. We have Phoenix that weekend. So we leave Thursday to Sunday that Monday that I got home, I had to bring one of my horses to Raleigh so I lost the day there and then I had to drive up and race the Islip 300. So I had to leave on, I remember we sat myself and uh, another racer down here, Gary Putnam set the motor in the car. It was seven 30 at night. And with late models, I'm not used to having to drill your motor mounts on the backside. Like the bell housing is what holds the rear, you know, motor up. So I'm like, Holy, holy crap. Like this is, this is going to be a task here. So we got that done. And when I was done at that at 7.38 at night on a Wednesday, I drove straight through the night to Connecticut because I still had to work on the sixth car to get it ready for Islip. So, like, when I mean this was the 
toughest 30 days of my life mentally, I had to push myself harder than I've ever done. So uh, there was that. Uh, it's just, if you guys, there was times where I thought to myself, I, I'm going to look like an, like a real idiot. You know, I sent my entry in, I, I have to do this. And I think you're very well aware when you're building a race car, there's so many things that can go wrong. Uh, you, you leave one oil line loose or one screw loose. You can oil the track down. You can wreck your race car. So um, just uh, when I got there on that, on that Monday, it was kind of like a, a weight was lifted off my shoulders, but now I'm skipping around. So there's, there's so many more things that, that happened along on that trip. So I remember um, we got the car done. I, I, the when the day before Thanksgiving, I brought it over to port city in the morning worked. I remember, I think I got there at seven in the morning. We worked all day because we were, we were going all out on this. Chris, uh, he put together an entire plan of kind of how the whole week was going to run for us. So most people, they just have their, they show up with their, their setup as a race car, this is going to be our race stuff. And then for qualifying, you know, we aren't going to put a, we had an entirely different setup. So we worked through two setups that day. I didn't get home until 10 o'clock at night, day before Thanksgiving. And then the next day you still got to load the trailer, do everything you got to do there. And I still had the vinyl, of the car, there was just so much that needed to get done. And then on top of it, when I'm driving down, I broke an alternator pulley and the serpentine belt threw out. So I got to, I had to Uber to Napa and, and get there, you know, an alternator and a serpentine belt and change it on the side of the road. So there was just so many things working against me. But um, I think a lot of it, uh, you know, wanting to succeed and, and refusing to, to beat it, beat you down, because there's a lot of moments that I'm sure we can all relate to where you just want to stop and just quit. But quitting doesn't get you anywhere and that's kind of been my motto and and uh but yeah so i'm gonna i'm gonna write a short story at some point i'm sure my wife's gonna have to help me do it but there's just so many things that happen in those 30 days that it it can really help paint the picture of who i really am and and really what i want to be as a race car driver well, I'll take a copy for whatever that's worth. We can we can definitely attest because we've been trying to get you on for a long time. And I sent you a text. I just looked back through a month ago today and you sent me back a picture of a bear chassis and said that you'd be able to do something after the snowball. So <laughs> there was no planning involved there, but it was a month ago today that you sent me that picture. So obviously you did a lot of work between then and now. I, I, I will say too, one of the one of the cooler things that's ever happened to me, I was I had just recently got a new job. And I'm working in South Portland here, just down the road. And I'm, tra I'm, I'm training for my new job. And I am quite literally, and, and I, my boss's boss actually listens to this show. So I hope he's hearing this. But I was actually helping a customer at the time. And my phone goes off. I look down and it says Ryan Priest. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> so I was like, I'm not trying to be a dick, but I, I have to take this. So I took it. I went out back and you're less like, what's up, dude? I was like, I, what the fuck is going on right now? And we, you just started talking to me like, oh, I heard you're getting a car. You know, you're gonna run Hickory. And we talked about that a little bit, and then you kind of dropped that little that little seed. You're like, yeah, I'm I'm thinking about doing the Derby. I was like, you don't know what fucking fenders are, and yeah. that that was my first uh, inkling that that that's this was all gonna go down. But uh, that's definitely a badass story. That's cool. 
Uh, that's the whole point of the show is so that you can hear that shit, and the, the stuff that never comes up on TV or anything like that. But uh, um, I think that that's a true testament to a lot of the things that's happened in your career too. I mean, if we're going back on the, the NASCAR side of things, I mean, for a long time, you were driving the, the flex seal car and you know, you were, you were one of those guys. And, you know, I think you, you kind of doubled down on yourself and you're like, you know, I, because you already talked about you want to win races you're not there to run 20th or 30th you want to win races so it sounded like you kind of just bet on yourself and then you you end up winning some, some some cool races for Gibbs right yeah so it's um man you know some people are are really happy and and rightfully so I guess they should be to just be there right I I not me I'm, I'm just not that person I wasn't built that way to um, just want to be there and just be in the crowd because I don't want to just blend in. I want to be more than that. And, um, so a lot of that, a lot of my success when in Xfinity and even at the snowball, uh, goes to Chris. Um, I didn't know him very much when I first went to Gibbs and, and he certainly probably didn't know a whole lot about me either, but we've gotten to know each other and, and, uh, he's helped make me a better race car driver, a better, better person in this business because in this industry there's so much uh so much more than just you know being a race car driver and and um but yeah i mean i i'll never forget those days driving the flex seal car and and uh there, there's some mentally challenging moment uh, i re i remember there was a time that some one of the guys forgot to take tape off all the NACA ducks and i about burned up in that race car it was extremely hot. So, uh, there was just a lot of, a lot of moments that helped define me and push me to be better as a person and as a race car driver. And, uh, but like I said, Chris, we were talking this weekend and he's, he's somebody who's really good at motivating people and, and somebody like myself. And, and he, you know, I said to him, you know, Hey, thank you for coming down and doing this because I know he could, you know, he's got a, he's got a daughter that's, you know, I think 15 months and, and he could be home, but he, he came down and obviously he has an interest in the race car, but he came to help me. Um, and one thing he said to me is he saw a younger version of him, uh, when with me, like my work ethic and the refuse to basically be told what's going to happen or what's not going to happen. And, I'm so I'm sure you guys, I, I don't know if you did hear or not, but a lot of people thought I was going to fail. And that's something that I continue to prove people wrong that, I mean, bet against me, go ahead, but you're, you're, you're not going to like what happens. Cause I'm not, I'm not somebody who, you know, when I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it 110%. And, and uh, you know, thus far I've, I've, I feel like I've succeeded at, all those tasks. Well, you, apparently you need people betting against you because it works as fuel for you because you succeeded pretty well this past weekend. <laughs> I would, yeah. you say, would you say, were you like happy with the result that you got, even though you, you at times had a car that was capable of winning? Oh man, I was so pissed. Uh, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's the thing. Chris and I, we both want to win so bad that it fuels, we, we fuel each other. Um, you know, he, he, he's been quoted, you know, you live by the fire, it, do whatever it takes. We just, uh, the first two runs of that race, we were pretty solid and, and, you know, me not knowing, uh, super late models or Pensacola or, you know, a lot of things just kind of 
added up against us uh, for those last runs, but we were competing against guys that do this week in and week out that th- this isn't, you know, it's not like modifieds where it's, it's a lot of volunteers. These are full-time, full-time guys. And we went there and, you know, I had Chris Gabehart. I had myself. I had Adam Scrivera, Gledon Dixon, Mike Perry, um, Ryan Bergeni, my wife, and Doug Campbell. Like, that was our team. And we relied on each other that we were all going to do a good job, and we did. You know, and obviously it takes sponsors to do all those things. And I'm very lucky that I've had a great, you know, group from the Northeast that helped make that, um, that helped make that happen. But man, it was, uh, it was us against the world that, that weekend or that week. Cause that is a challenging week <laughs> Not for race car drivers or teams, but guys like you that are going out, going to, going to what's that place called Florabama. Alabama, yeah. It wasn't just wasn't just for Alabama, but there wasn't there, we didn't get more than three hours of consecutive sleep the whole time. We were really busy. A big, big <laughs> week for us. <laughs> yeah. No, I thought it, it is something that it, me being the one the the the, the with a more racing experience, I guess that it, it's one of those deals where this past year I've gotten to watch a lot. And as cool as it is sometimes to just kind of sit back and be a fan, I think it's kind of lit something under my ass where it's like, I, I want to be in the fucking race. Like I, I want it. Like it's, it's kind of sparked me to be like, I, there's no reason why I can't be out doing some of these things that I, I'm going out and watching. So uh, it's guys like you and hearing these stories that even just feels that even more. So thank you for doing what you do and, 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 you know, just being a general badass in my opinion, but um, you know, I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about some of the other things as much as we love short track racing and all those things. Uh, you know, you, 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 you did the flex seal deal. You ended up in a Gibbs car. So that obviously that was a bit of a project, but was that like your proving point to try and get to Sundays? Cause I mean, you, at one point, I mean, you, you quite literally get to call yourself one of only 40 people on the planet that get to do what you do. So, um, I know that you go from that, but you still want to win. So what's that transition like from flex seal to Gibbs to, um, you know, JTG and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I guess I never really thought about it like that. <laughs> you can kind of, you, you, you put it in perspective, right? Um, as a race car driver, we're like horses with blinders. We, we always see his victory lane or whatever it takes to, to get us there. At least myself. Uh, moving home when I did, uh, honestly, when I moved home after 2016, I had no ambitions of trying to find funding to go to a team because I just, unless I was going to be able to win, I just didn't see the risk, you know, basically being rewarding enough. I, I know what it takes, the, the financial undertaking that it takes to to get that opportunity sometimes is, is too much for some people. And this opportunity just happened to kind of fall on my lap where it was like, okay, this is a Gibbs car. I can go, I can, you know, I feel like I can go win in this. And that was when everybody kind of pulled everything together and I borrowed money from a couple different people. And, and, you know, I, I did what I knew that I could do and that was win. You know, I don't think you can get much better for the first two races where you finish second to Kyle Busch and you win when your other race. So that all that all, you know, went really well and and uh, created more opportunities. I remember at the end of 2017 where I did 
New Hampshire, Iowa, Kentucky, and Homestead. And before Homestead, I still had no clue if I was going to have anything. Uh, I remember there was talks about me possibly doing some races the next year. And, and that was when um, Reem stepped up and said, hey, we're going we're gonna to put 10 races for you. Uh, here's 10 races for you next year. And, and also Stanley Black and Decker, which is in New Britain, Connecticut, uh, stepped up with Craftsman that they were rebranding and, and doing a big launch and trying to, trying to, you know, build the brand again. And, and they tied four races with me. So I had 14 races that year and that was it. So luckily I was able to go out in the first three races. Um, I remember California was nothing to really brag about. We, we struggled there. But uh, Texas, I felt like we were going to have a shot at winning, and I think we finished fourth or fifth. And then it went to Bristol, and we won. We won the Dash for Cash. We won the race. And they – I just remember because that qualified me for Richmond for the Dash for Cash again, but I wasn't on the entry list. It was a big thing. Like, they were going to try and find a way to put me in that race because it's $100,000 if you went in. I've obviously proved my worth at that point. I had won two out of six races I had done with them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that's how that all started. And, and that's how everything kind of started with Kevin Harvick. He, I remember he, he ended up sponsoring Stafford Motor Speedway. Uh, he did like a $5,000 contingency plan where it was a hundred bucks a week or, or a couple hundred dollars a week, which is a big deal to all the SK modified guys. And, and I went up and thanked him at California and, and, uh, that, that really, you know, started, started the talks. And, and I remember when I won at Bristol before I was pulling up to victory lane, he was walking by and, you know, give me a fist bump. And for somebody like myself that idolizes a guy like him and, and, uh, you know, wants to, wants to be like him winning races and championships and competing for, you know, competing for the best team out there, uh, that that's a goal. So having him right there and, and now being a part of KHI management, uh, them representing me and, and helping guide my career, that was a huge step for me. So uh, as far as JTG, it was a, it was a good, ex, you know, it was a good experience. I got three years with them. Uh, it certainly had our ups and downs, but uh, you got to have those moments. You got to, you got to take your lumps. Some, some people are lucky and, and they don't have to pay their dues. And, and then there's other that have to, you know, fight and claw for everything they get. So um, I'm going to look at that as I feel like I've paid my dues for three years and, and gotten some more experience, but whatever my next, uh, my next, you know, racing endeavor ends up being, I promise you, I promise like everybody who, who watches me or wants to watch me, it's going to be something I can, I can go out and feel like I have a shot at winning every week because that's just, I, 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 me personally, mentally as a race car driver, I just, I need that. I thrive off it. So you talk about the ups and downs and, and last year, I think that I remember that was kind of, we were introduced to you and we started paying a little bit more attention to you. Well, last year was pretty, a pretty difficult year for you. Um, coming back, I remember watching you at Thompson um, and something on pit road happened. I think you, did you run out of gas and ended up losing? Yep. Yeah. yeah. So I remember, I remember looking like well, looking at you that last year and just being, man, that's gotta be so frustrating because I think it was also at, 
it might have been Charlotte. I remember you're coming back to race star like the next that weekend or whatever, and you were having such a good run. And I remember watching on TV and being like, Oh, this is good. Like it's like momentum you need to build off of, and it's cool. Like, I'm gonna be able to watch that guy right down the road tomorrow. You get taken out in a wreck, and it's just like it felt like last year was so many downs. And then you go into the last race of the year, the Ice Lip 300, and you go and win. Um, and it just seemed like almost going into this year, I remember we saw you at Speed Weeks, and there was talks that you weren't even going to be able to run the full year. So it's like, shit, like, how hard is it to, like, not get beaten down when, like, you you win that that race? You know, you come out this year, and you start winning more modified races, and uh, you jump back into a truck, and you go and pick up a win. Like, it's so cool to, like, see, you know, the – like you, it felt like you were just getting beaten down, beaten down. And you just kept, you know, staying as high as you possibly could. And like, even last year when, when you were doing bad, that's when you decided to run the snowball derby and, you know, come back and stay relevant or whatever, you know, we see you on Sundays, so you're relevant, but. <laughs> yeah. Again, you, you, you're quite literally one of 40 people that gets to do what you do in the planet. So that's got to count for something, right? No, it does. And, you know, I would say 2021 um, was, man, there was a whole bunch of, um, with, like you said, I slope 300. I won that race. And at the end of 2020, uh, we, we then, you know, there was plans of not running the entire cup season. I, I ended up going out and qualifying, I think six of the Daytona 500. We drove, down the highway and, and right to New Smyrna started dead last, won the race that night and and won won a truck race. I finally won in a modified at New Hampshire, you know, and in a, in a wild finish, we won Richmond. Uh, we won, you know, there was so many different races we won at. And and then Eddie, you know, my my owner uh, passed away. So that was really um, that was really when I felt like I got kicked in the gut again. Uh, that was really when I felt like, like things were going so well. And, and then it's like, man, what, what just happened? Uh, so that, that's really when I lost momentum, when I felt like, you know, somebody kicked me off the mountain again. So going down and, and finally getting this car for the snowball um, and building it and putting it together and doing whatever it took possible that kind of put the wind back in my sails, to be honest with you. And, and going in and uh, going in, man, I want to freaking win that race, but it was like, you damn near did though. You were, I'm going to tell you this right now in my, in my helmet, I remember I got the second and it was like lap 60 or 70. And I'm like, Oh, these guys are in trouble here. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, Derek, there was one point we looked at each other. We we're like, that sex car is fucking coming. I'm telling you right now, that <laughs> motherfucker is flying. <laughs> we were rolling the center so good. And um, Derek Thorne's car was extremely good. I will say that. Uh, I, I'd like, I wish, uh, I wish, I, like I said to Chris, I wish we could have gone over and redid that entire weekend. Because if you look at practice times on Thursday, there was a lot of people that didn't think we were going to make that race, but you know, Chris is ambitious and, and somebody who has a plan and I just stick to it. Just what you tell me what to do. You point me in the direction and I'm going to do it. So I don't know if you guys saw the on-car cam from racing America. They, they posted one. uh, They had an on-car cam from the first day we were there. And I'm telling you, I am swatting flies, you know, (laughs) tipping on 
model. We were just, we were trying to find a direction. And, and another thing there is there was, uh, you know, obviously because of the tire shortage, you could only get so many tires where a lot of these other teams had gone to other races and accumulated stickers. Not me. I didn't thing like i had to get what i had at the test and then i had to like save all my tires for friday when we were doing mock runs so i really i really never even able to practice until saturday i would say that was like the first time i was able to go out there for more than five laps at a time and and figure the track out and understand what you want to do and and what it wants and that's when uh that's when i figured out we had a pretty badass race car well, that's really telling because I remember we were driving down the road back to Florabama, uh, naturally. And I remember looking at the times and seeing that you were like 39th and I'm like, Oh shit. Like that's not good. That was the first, that was the first day we're there. So I would have never thought that you would have had, you know, one of the top three fastest cars in the Derby. And then not, not only to mention that, but Friday qualifying day, like that's, that's a big deal. Like you wouldn't need to make the race before you can go out there and win the race. So knowing that you didn't even practice really until Saturday, that's, that's crazy to me. Oh, and, and that goes back to Monday when we tested, you know, Eric Jones was testing, uh, Derek Thorne was testing, all these fast cars were testing and the transponders don't say your name. It just says, you know, it was a three digit number. So nobody really knew who it was unless you were at the test and started keeping track. And, uh, I remember at the end of the day, I was, I was trying to keep Chris up to date with pictures, videos, you know, all my comments, you know, so he could go back at our lap times and look at it. And at the end of the day, we threw on a set of stickers for a race run, not a qualifying run. And he said, listen, this is where you're at. Drive the living piss out of it to know where we are. And when, you know, as far as the speed we had for, for not being in a mock run, and he was like, okay, I feel a little bit more comfortable about the plan that I have in place. And, you know, when I get there on Thursday, well, we're going to, we're going to work through some items, but I feel comfortable knowing that I can stick to this plan. And, and that's really, you know, I remember, uh, so my wife gets there on Friday and we go out for mock run practice and we, we had a little mishap. Um, so we didn't get the right adjustment in the car. And like, I think we were, like you said, 38 or something after our first run. And I go into, and my wife looks at me and goes, how many cars qualify in tonight? <laughs> 30. And she does this. <laughs> so then the next run we make like 30 minutes later, right at the end of practice, we end up going P3 and she's like, okay, I feel a little better. But um, as you guys know, or, you know, this is, this is the biggest super late model event in the country. I had been there in 2008, but I didn't really, like, I wasn't aware of how big it actually was until this time. It is just, it's, they do a phenomenal job of, of making these guys short track stars. Like they are, this is a big deal. So it was cool to be a part of that event. It was cool to represent the Northeast, you know, the cup series, but the modifieds and, and show that we can do this. We aren't afraid of you know <laughs> fun. so so going off of that obviously you have a lot of the open wheel experience with the modifieds and all that stuff you've driven a lot of different things um but what what are some of the the key things that you notice right off the bat about a super late model that you're like whoa this is fucking different or like oh this is this is all this the same um 
I'm still figuring that out. It was, uh, I'm sure Pensacola is so different from any other, uh, just because it's, it wears tires out. But, um, man, what I thought, I think it's harder to set somebody up in a modified and pass than in a late model. I think late models, um, going back and like me, I, I don't try to stick my nose under somebody and just jack them out of the way. I think that's just not the way of doing it. And I wasn't taught to just, you know, you're going to at least attempt to pass somebody so they block you and then you move them. But, um, but yeah, so there was that. I thought passing was a little easier, which I'm sure, I'm sure it being 300 laps, somebody's not chopping you there at the end. So that, that works out in your favor, but the cars turn a little better than a modified, but modifieds when, uh, and, and it probably helps that I had a good race car, right? I'm sure if I didn't have a good race car, I'd have a different opinion, but modifieds can become much more of a handful than I think the late model was. Uh, when modifieds start wearing tires out, we start getting sideways in and it just, you know, it becomes where you're, you're just working at the entire time, but it was fun. Yeah. I, I actually noticed more arrow items in a modified than I do did in the super late model, to be honest with you. Um, you know, there's things with modifieds where I noticed when you get in dirty air, which is funny, we're talking about this, but you get loose. You just get extremely loose. So a lot of it's positioning your race car uh, where at Pensacola, um, I didn't, I didn't notice anything, you know, it was, it seems, I mean, arrow is always a thing, but mechanical seemed to, to be more of a, you know, hit on thing. So, but yeah, that was that. What's your take on uh, modifieds ever going to five flags? I was trying so hard. I mean, they got them right now, don't they? Eight-inch tires. Yeah, yeah, yeah kind of. <laughs> so I drove. I've actually won in one of those uh, in 2008 at New Smyrna um, in a Florida-type modified. But they uh, – or it was 2009. But I, I did say to them because I was talking talking to one of the promoters about – modifieds and they're like man you think they would ever come here i said yeah if you pay like 20 grand to win (laughs) hey but they'll show up and i i really think in the you know in the panhandle southeast if you brought some northeast stars and some of the southern guys and bring them all there on a you know on a friday night or whatever uh and kind of make it like a prelude to to everything with snowball i bet you you could get some you can get some car counts they would be hauling the mail there because I barely using the brake. I mean, in the modified, you're probably just going to be ripping. I want to go way back to when you, you said that you don't lay the bumper at anyone because we were sitting in both turns and I can attest that I didn't see you lay the bumper at all throughout the day, but the 78 car for sure deserved it that one time that you did because <laughs> whole, you don't have to say anything, but holy hell, what a block. <laughs> I mean, he was a lap down. It was as if... <laughs> I immediately said, hey, or like in my head, I'm like, what are you doing? Use your head. I feel like that's not exactly what you said. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I didn't, there was, that was not smart on his part. I mean, I feel like I'm pretty level-headed and pretty calm, but I was, that was at the point in the race, like right before one of the competition cautions were going to come out. and, And I felt like I was, getting really close to Derek, his car was moving around a lot more. And, and my car really seemed to, 
not necessarily. I mean, yeah, I would say it was, it would shine, you know, lap 60 to 70 in a run when, when other guys started to fall off the pace, I just, you know, a little engine that could, I just kept on going. So you, um, you definitely had a, you had, I feel like you had a much better long run car, but um, maybe those that don't know at the Derby, every 75 consecutive or after a 75 lap consecutive run, a yellow comes out. So that yeah. kind of, that kind of fucked you a couple of times I feel because in those runs you would start to gain on the 43. And there was one time you were, de- you were there, like you were getting ready to set that, that cause up there. Yeah. Yeah. And that yellow comes out. I was like, mother fucker. And watching it. Cause we're on the infield. I want you to come down the back stretch. I was like, that, that motherfucker's coming. So we, I, we ended up, Charlie was still over in three and four, but I went with a group of people over to one and two. And so you couldn't see anything in three and four. Cause we were just standing along the wall. So we were watching on the big screen right behind us and you came around and I saw Derek Thorne come off of four dead sideways and you get right back to his bumper. And then the 78 just hangs a left and we're standing and we're watching this, uh, you know, coming out of four and we're standing in turn one and everyone at the same time just throws their hands up. Like, what the hell? Because that was like your shot. That was like the closest you had been and you were faster. And like, we, like we knew the yellow was coming. So yeah, that was a, uh, that was a bummer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I even, uh, I watched, so that's, that's something, um, I'm very passionate about racing. I'm very passionate about winning. And uh, not that I felt like that would have changed the race by any means, because the the last two runs, we certainly were too tight. Um, and I don't it, it it wouldn't have played out. But when I rewatched the races, I've probably watched that entire race three times already. And just because it's like, what can I do better? What can we do better? Look at this guy's, you know, looking at different cars, attitudes and and just stuff like that. So. Yeah, that was a real bonehead move. Um, but if we were all perfect, we wouldn't have cautions and races wouldn't be very exciting. So I'm sure that that kind of got everybody on their toes and made everybody stand up or, or have those moments. And, um, you know, I don't know. Uh, all I know is right now that that car is going to go on the Jack Sand 500 for a little while. <laughs> we'll see. Well, so it's a, it's a bummer. Uh, the video are, you know, our real professional high tech equipment that we were walking around with the whole weekend uh, apparently was not recording when we first walked up to you at, uh, at, at for the vlog on Sunday where where, you know, Derek Griffith broke the news that you are going to be running the Oxford 250. I heard that, right? <laughs> oh, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> come on. You can yeah. come hang out with us. I don't have a motor for that. They don't have, they don't have uh cheaper than the one that's in it. Yeah. But I'm not changing it. You know how much work it took? <laughs> like, yeah, it was, only, it was only 30 days. We, we just heard about it. Why don't you just come get mine? Just come get mine, drop it in. You're good to go. So I'm human. And here's another story because I said the rear bell housings are the rear motor plate on, on, on this, you know, you drill, through the motor mount that goes on the rear motor plate and i put the flywheel on backwards one time so i go to click the you know starter and it didn't do anything the ring gear i'm sorry the ring gear and uh i'm like Zing! and i'm like what's going on here this is a problem <laughs> so i had i literally for a couple different reasons but i had to unbolt that thing and move that motor twice and and i was just over it at this point in time. <laughs> but job 
I make sure it's done so I don't have to do it again. And when I started having to redo things like two or three times, I'm like, man, come on. But <laughs> is say, I'm not taking that motor out anytime soon. And the exhaust, the to put headers on a super late model is one of the probably toughest things to do. And I don't <laughs> take them off anytime soon. So it's just, it's going to sit there as is. Sit there as is right now, as of right now. So, so moving forward then, what, what are your plans? What, what's 2022 going to look like for you? Do we know? Do we have an idea? I don't know, man. Um, hopefully I can announce something very soon, but as of right now, no, I don't really know. I, I know there's been a few different modified owners that have reached out. Um, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do with my super late model right now. It's like I said, it's going to sit on Jack stands. I, Somebody did reach out about renting it for, for a race, but I don't, I don't own a race car to fix it for somebody else. I, you know, I just, if I'm going to put the time and the effort into it, I want to be driving it and I want to win. So um, I'm not really sure. It sounds like a whole lot of, you know, man, it's, it's really tough because I'm so fortunate to be able to do what I do and, you know, basically have all the opportunities I've ever done and, and all the opportunities that I have sitting in front of me, but I am the most undecided person of what I want to do right now. Um, other than, you know, my main job and my main focus of what I want, I feel it's very close. And, and like I said earlier in the podcast that whatever it is, I'm going to be in contention to win races. Uh, but, like on a short track level doing modifieds and, and doing all the work and, and doing everything. I just, I, I don't know. I'm kind of at that crossroad right now um, of what I want to do. Sorry if I sound like I'm, you know, thinking as I'm talking, but it's just, it's so difficult. So, uh, so kind of, so kind of, evolving off of that you've you've gotten to do a lot of things you've gotten to be in a lot of big races you've gotten to win a lot of big races is there anything on the bucket list that you still either want to do want to win want to be in anything like that yeah i want to win i mean me personally i want to win snowball derby (laughs) i'm really i want it so bad so um but if when I do run that car, I got to make sure that, you know, I'm, I have everything it takes to do it, you know, because that, that type of racing is, um, financially demanding. Like you got to make sure you have everything it takes. Luckily, I feel like I have, you know, hypercoil is somebody who supports me. So when it comes to bump stops, springs, I have that covered JRI with earnest performance, the shock stuff. And that's extremely crucial when it comes to late models, as you, as you can tell. And, and Port City, uh, somebody who I just started working with, obviously, I feel like they have my back. And, and I, I really look forward to continuing that relationship and learning with them and, and making this car better. But um, it's just, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know right now. So, so uh, why, why the Derby so bad? Why is that, why is that the one you want? Cause I feel like that would shock the people the most, but the shock factor almost seems like it would go away now because of how I ran. Right. Like we ran basically top two the first 200 laps 
And, you know, unfortunately, I, I missed the corner in one and two because we were a little too tight and I probably shouldn't have got in as hard as I did and gave up, uh, gave up third. I, I feel like we could have finished third, but um, I just, I get labeled as a modified guy, which is no problem. I embrace it. I say modifieds mainly all the time, but I can go and win in anything. It doesn't matter what it is. If you put me in a car that's capable of winning, I'm going to win. Like I am mentally, I'm probably one of the mentally strongest people you'll ever race against because I'm not, I don't get tired. I don't, uh, I, I don't make mistakes very often. That's why I get frustrated that I gave up third, but funny story when they did do tech, they tore that third place car completely like the whole front fenders and everything. And it was only a thousand dollars difference in purse. So I'm like, torn torn <laughs> or i'll take my you know a little bit less money and just sit there and tech but uh, that all worked out but uh i just i want to win in everything right now i just want to prove I, I like proven proving things uh not just the people but to myself you know so well, yeah what I, what I like about that answer and i think speaks volumes as to why we are i, I, I think we can call each other friends at this point um what why i like uh being phone do what now we can call each other friends because i called you remember oh yeah yeah exactly (laughs) uh but no what what i love about that answer so much is that you you've you've literally been in the daytona 500 you've been in the the great american race you've done all the cool stuff and your answer to the one thing you want to win is the snowball derby that's well that's bad uh, i mean obviously i want to find you know, at at the cup level, I want to win. I want to win everything. I want to win uh, the six hundred, the Coca Cola six hundred, the Daytona five hundred, um, uh, the the Southern five hundred. You know, the, all those races. Those are huge races. That yeah, I want to win. But I feel like as a race car driver, as somebody who you know, like Mark Martin on my Instagram posts, he'll post on there and, and say things, you know, because he follows along and, and, you know, those are the guys that I respect a ton guys like Tony Stewart, Kevin Harvick, uh, Mark Martin, Jeff Burton, um, Rusty Wallace, all names that kids that are 18 years old right now might not have paid attention, but those are all, race car drivers they were racers you know what i mean they they knew how to set their race cars up they knew how to work on their race cars and and that was from where i'm from in berlin and my father raising me he didn't if he ever saw me sitting around when we were at the racetrack he made me pick up trash he would make me do something because he he didn't want me to just sit there and and you know just get in the race car he wanted me to learn and and, uh, you know, I really appreciate that now being 31 years old and I can build a race car. I can set a race car up. I can, I can do it all. I don't have to rely on somebody to do it. And, and I feel like that's a huge, um, huge skill set to have as a race car driver now. Yeah, it seems like it's rare nowadays. Yeah. But I have, <laughs> I have one question that has nothing to do with racing. Do you just drive around and find stray dogs? Like lost dogs. Oh man, I uh, they gravitate towards me apparently. So yeah, 
uh, luckily we did find the owner or the owner uh, saw a post, but I was fully ready to just keep that thing because it, it let me pick it up. I covered in, in cow poop or something like it was just rolling in poop and I brought it to my house. I showered it, you know, cleaned it all up. And the owner ended up coming here. Well, five minutes before the owner got here, we have horses and it decided to roll around in horse poop <laughs> after I just cleaned it. So apparently this, this dog just likes being dirty, but, um, but yeah, we, we seem to find, you know, animals, uh, which, which it's a huge problem, uh, down here. And I'm sure everywhere, uh, people letting their animals go because of whatever reason they don't want it anymore. And, you know, my, my wife and I both agree on this is when you, when you get a commitment of getting a dog, like that's, that's the same thing as having a kid, they rely on you. So I, I, I wish they would put people in jail for doing stuff like that. But I will, if, if the dog is going to let me, if it's on the side of, if I see a dog on the side of the road without a collar or even with a collar, I'd bring it back, but I'm going to pick it up or at least try to get it because they're they're scared. you know they don't they don't have anybody and and uh yeah so yeah i'm an animal lover if, if you lose a dog around the greater mooresville area be sure you're following ryan priest because he's probably <laughs> gonna find it because i've seen i've seen a couple of them at least in the last like month or two yeah yeah we're like uh rescue ranch the mini version <laughs> <laughs> yeah you got ryan newman and ryan priest yeah that's yeah. the ryan and ryan show the ryan and ryan show <laughs> And, and right. you, did say, you did say that you're mentally tough and you don't get tired. If you want to ha- come hang out with us at Florabama one night, we'll get you tired. Yeah, I promise <laughs> you'll be tired. So that's another thing. I went back and was watching the broadcast and like some of the drivers were getting ice packs and took their helmets off or whatever. And I'm sitting in there like my wife handed me the water bottle. I chug it down. I threw it back out the window. <laughs> like You know, it's just I don't know. I mean, I feel like. Uh, when you get that focused on something and those, those items, I'm sure it's like you guys of Florida, Bama, you know, you just get in the zone and one becomes two and two becomes three and it just keeps going from there. Yeah. 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 yeah, For sure. There's (laughs) there's no reason why we weren't exhausted any of the nights that we were there. It was, it was bad. I mean, I I didn't, we didn't go to bed till 5 AM on Monday and we had to be up and like, I, I got up at eight, 15 8 30 and i clean the whole airbnb because i don't airbnb often and i know that you pay a cleaning fee but i don't know like what i'm gonna get charged extra for if there's like bottles everywhere and trash so i just i'm i I was and i I was a boy scout so i was told you know just leave no trace so i go in and i clean the shit out you know early and but no there's we're not as mentally uh, strong as you are let's just say that (laughs) it's pretty tired the last couple days (laughs) yeah so um, I think this is I think this is a damn good one. This is definitely one of our best interviews by far. Uh, the, the fact that you speak more than us speaks volumes on, on uh, how good of an interview it's been. So um, the one the one question I do like to ask every single person that we talk to, and I, I, I like to close it out the same way every single time that I think I might already know the answer at this point, just based off of what you said. But what brings Ryan Priest back to the racetrack? Why do you, why do you have to be at a racetrack? What, what makes you want to race cars and and be there? Winning. I'm competitive. I mean, it's so generic, right? Like, or 
I mean, for some people, it, it's the it's the the people. Some people, it's literally just going fast. Some people, it's it's a it's a bunch of different things. So that's why I like asking. It's a very simple question, but you always get a different answer. I feel. So, and to elaborate on that, and I've said this in in a couple different interviews. I'll so I've won I've won a lot of races. Like somebody actually sent me a total chart. I think in ten years I won a hundred and. 30 races or something like that, which I consider pretty good. Um, but I'll never forget the day that I set the car up and I went to the racetrack without my father and did the whole deal and won that race. And that feeling of accomplishment, doing it yourself, doing it without your father, um, setting the car up, going through the ups and downs, learning what it takes that's the day it changed for me. It became more than just, you know, that, yeah, I won, got a trophy. It became, holy shit, I just accomplished this. I want more of this. And that became like a drug. Uh, the, the feeling of, of success and, and just, it's so hard it'll be so hard to explain to people because sometimes I can be mistaken as cocky or, or I don't even know the other word I'm looking for, but I just want it so bad that when I'm at the racetrack, I focus completely on what the task is at hand. Like I don't, I'm sure you guys saw me at the snowball. I just, whatever it takes, I'll do whatever it takes, no matter what time of the day it is or how much, you know, time we have before a race, I'm going to do whatever it takes to win that race. Um, and, and now I feel like when I go through all this, the process of building these race cars and and working with, you know, like working with Chris and I don't, I don't want to disappoint. I don't want to let anybody down and that pushes me even harder. So really what drives me to go to the racetrack is the feeling of success and succeeding. And I don't want to keep saying proving people wrong because I don't believe in feeling the need to go out there and just prove people wrong because it's more of proving to myself that I'm capable of this and, and pushing myself to further, you know, further as a race car driver. So I'd say right now, that's, that's almost like why I said earlier in the podcast, to you guys, like, I don't know where I am right now, as far as at a short track level, I don't know what I want to do because I don't know what I want to push myself in next. I don't know if I want to go to new Smyrna and, and race a modified. I don't know if I want to run a super late model. I don't, I don't know if I, I don't know what the next thing's going to be, but what I do know is like one thing that strikes me. I want to beat Matt Hirschman at a tri-track race. Like I want to beat him, you know, and, and, and that speaks volumes to him because he's one of the best, right. In in a modified and, and saving tires. I want to go to IRP and, and win in a midget against uh, Cody Swanson and Bobby Santos and those guys. And, and, you know, maybe one day I'd like to get in a sprint car for 10 sprint car on dirt and, and go win in one of those, you know, I just, I want to have all those opportunities and, and lucky for me, I'm 31 years old. I'm really young and, and hopefully, you know, I'll, I'll be able to do those things. But so basically answering your question, that's what drives me. And as far as modifieds go or, or suit, you know, that stuff, I just don't know. Um, I, 
I don't know what's going to happen next, but yeah. Have, have you ever had the, I made it feeling or are you always searching for something? I'm not there yet. I, I haven't made it. I've made it, but I haven't because until you see me holding a trophy for winning a championship or, or winning, you know, the Daytona 500 or Coca-Cola 600 or Southern 500, those races, I haven't made it. I don't consider it making it. Uh, I'm sure there are some people out there that, you know, once they get to this level, they're like, heck yeah, you know, I'm a cup driver. I don't look at it like that. I want to, <clears throat> I want to win races. I want to be successful. That's when, you know, and I'm sure I won't feel that way until I'm 40 or 45 years old, hopefully. But yeah. But one thing that you just said during that brought me back to when we actually first came down, I think this was you know January of this past year. We went out to dinner with you and, and you were asking, you asked us basically like, Hey, my wife says that like I'm unapproachable when I, when I'm at the racetrack. And like, I think that might've been the other word you were looking for. Cause you yeah. said, I don't know if people think I'm cocky or whatever, but no, you're just focused. And, and it's clear that, that, you know, all these, you have these goals, you know, beating Cody Swanson at IRP and a midget or whatever, like all these, you're just so focused and just determined and want to win. And it's just, it's cool to see. I try. Yeah. And, and, and you are approachable. You might just not look at sometimes cause you know, every, everyone gets a resting bitch face, you know? <laughs> yep. That's right. So, I mean, and, and that's, that's a hundred percent. I remember that when I asked you guys, cause I had just got done with a conversation with her about it. And, um, but I've tried, I've really worked on it because, you know, at the same time, as much as I'm there focused on winning, you need to, there's people paying to come see you and, now, I will say there is a right time and a wrong time for some people, but uh, I have worked on that, you know, when I'm environments. <laughs> well, and, that's, and that's telling, too, because this past weekend, it was weird. Like, when we walked up with a camera, like, I didn't even know how you'd be feeling on Derby qualifying day. Like, the biggest pressure of the weekend, really making the race top 30. And we walk over with a, with a camera with Justin Williams, of all people, recording. And you walk out and you're just joyous, like smiling, happy, like approachable. And it, obviously you, you kind of know us and we're, we're friends, you know, on MySpace or whatever. But yeah, like it was, it was cool. It was cool <laughs> to walk up and just see how like loose you were. And then you go out there and you still make the race. And, and it was just, yeah, it was, it was a different Ryan Priest than what I think that we were used to seeing at, you know, a modified race a couple of years ago. With Tom from MySpace? Yeah. yeah but uh yeah i mean a lot of that probably comes from chris you know having chris there and trusting him and and um being able to just be that race car driver that was the first time i swear in a long time that i've not felt like i've had to give air pressures out or staggers or what springs or what shocks or or which way to do this or which way to do that and, and not have to be crew chief you know and, and do all those things it was focus on driving and and going back to what you're talking about, being loose on qualifying night, I wasn't worried. I don't, man, I don't know. I, I don't get nervous. Maybe I'm just lucky. I did finally learn what anxiety feels like, though. Uh, the, the 30 days prior to the Derby, I'm telling you, I took some deep breaths because I was like, Shh. Um, it was just, uh, it was just, that that derby qualifying i got nervous when the only time i got nervous was after my laps and nobody said anything and i'm like well this is either i'm not on the top whatever or i got the pole <laughs> i don't know but it clearly wasn't the pole we ended up qualifying 12th but i just i don't get i don't get nervous um 
very often, I just get focused. Ryan Priest gets gets anxiety when he has to build a super late model in 30 days. Me at a Walmart, you know, <laughs> it's just we're we're basically the same person. Yeah, it's, it's nice to finally get you on, though, because I was afraid, you know, Charlie might have been late today or might have stood you up again like you did that oh, one time. Jesus. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> so we have been trying to get this to happen for a long time. And I remember I went to I went to a race at Stafford on a Friday and came over and talked to you. And you're like, oh, I'll come on the show. And like, what are you doing Sunday? Because it was a cup off weekend or whatever. So I text Charlie and I said, you know, you know we're going to have priests on at three thirty, three in the afternoon, whatever, on Sunday. And uh, I don't know that Charlie ever responded, but I came there, home. At there was noon. no time given. It was, was it, we'll do it this afternoon. I'm like, oh, okay, that's fine. I came home at six. Yeah, he, yeah. It came home very much later than this afternoon. And I was like, all right. So I, I'm sure that was the first time you've ever been stood up by a five, seven redhead, but I'm glad <laughs> that he didn't do it tonight. There was actually a time as well where he was talking to the guy that he bought his super late model off of where Mike Perry FaceTimed me. And we were going to get you on the podcast that night, but Charlie ended up on a business call. So uh, yeah. we didn't make it a third time. And I'm just happy that that was the case. Yeah. Honestly, out better for this, anyways. Yeah. No, I, 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 the timing was perfect for this one. Absolutely. I got to talk about my future short story book. You know, we talked <laughs> about stuff. Yeah. Yeah. People still need to go buy that book, even though they just heard the short story of the short story on our stupid podcast. Man, there's so much. Like, I, I'm gonna, I'm actually going to probably in February. I might try to just throw something out there on Facebook, like. There are some drivers that are really good at putting this entire like full length uh, story of their events. Like one person I actually enjoy reading is Andy Jankowiak's stories of his racing events because he's just wild, right? <laughs> somebody, you know, he's a pretty um, ambitious person and somebody that you know you, you you read some of the stuff he does and and you really think like, man, this, he's doing whatever. So. I'm proud of him and, and proud of everything he does, but I'm going to, I'm going to put together a day by day process of what I went through as a race car driver, as a person, um, just of those 30, I'm going to call it 30 days. So it's just, it was wild. It, I'm definitely going to put something together. So be on the lookout in the next like two months. I, I want a copy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just have to screen. Yeah, that's fine. I'll turn it off. It'll be, on probably a i don't know like a website or something yeah well no thank you for uh thank you for giving us your time thank you for hanging out with us and uh i can't imagine this is the last time we'll see you but uh, we just don't know where yet right maybe atlantic city you never know here we go i was just about to say hopefully we'll see you in atlantic city and hopefully we'll see you tired because that means we'd had we had a good night but we this this little dumb podcast that we started has come a real long way since uh we had a show titled live from atlantic shitty with ryan reese's friend so (laughs) (laughs) now i guess we've kind of made it you know we don't we're still struggling but we'll make it one day (laughs) a lot of fun along the way all right guys all right appreciate it man thank you race car race car here we go race car